You know, uh, it's super cold in winter. You have your cows in your barn and they are sitting, you know, it's dark in there and, and, and they're in there for six months because it's so dark and cold. Mm. And then at some point in time, it becomes a Swedish tradition. This is when we let all the cows out of the barn to roam free in the paddock. Mm-hmm. And this is called a kuslep. And this is classic, right? You know, you have it uh, come and visit uh, the, the Sigtuna Gordon and experience Kuslap. And we do this as tourists. Like you take the children and you go out and then at a certain point in time, you have the the, the cow release or Kuslap in Swedish. And it's a big thing. And if, if you want to define happiness, yeah. if you want to have a picture of happiness, it's how the excitement of the cows and how they are bucking around and isn't it a similar quote from old um, Emily Lundenberg yeah. <clears throat> spring i benen or you have yeah. some kind of yeah, yeah I, I really understand you know me myself being a small town boy you know mm-hmm. we have cows everywhere more or less not really around the corner but I've seen it since I grew up more or less so mm-hmm. so uh, Someone uh, makes makes it a tourist attraction. <laughs> yeah, and someone well, someone was grown up with it. Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. <laughs> where are you grown up? Uh, where so, do you grow up, by the way? So yeah, so I I grew up in the province of Småland, uh, Ekvär. Yeah, Ekvär. I'm yeah. from Småland as well. You know. So yeah, you are I'm from Kalmar. Oskar oh, Kalmar, you are. Yeah. Oh, safe. I can prata witty, come and bröd och köra så här kanoritiska om du vet. Fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> uh, and then, and now, and now the joke was uh, going into vacation times. It, it was on the news media that the way the Swedes are buying, you know, vacation tickets. Mm. Uh, you know, so everything is ramping up. We don't have enough staff, but people want to travel, and we have the major problems in Orlando and everything. And you know, it's it's a cool slip for yeah. vacation. <laughs> I never heard that term before, but uh, I love it, uh, Henrik, uh, that you say that. Basically, the people that take vacation now <laughs> is a bit like a cool slip, yeah. and, and they are just you know. And I'm I'm one, I'm one of them, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Myself Do you have any well. plans for the summer? We have made a few plans. Uh, we have uh, four weeks of vacation coming up. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say uh, we are planning a trip down to Skåne, which is yeah. the south of Sweden. Uh, we will probably go up to Dalarna, where my wife is from as mm. well. So where in Dalarna? Um, close to um, uh, yeah, it's called Gustavs. Gustavs. Yes, Gustavs. Now, uh, uh, let's give us a where we now? Rättvik up mot Mora. Ah, between Bålinge and uh, yeah, something close up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyhow, mm. yeah. So it, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's it's very typical traditional Swedish summer, I would say. So now, now then, then the next one, mm. Are you, do you have a, a strong midsummer tradition? Because like uh, Dalarna has fantastic midsummer. Up there, it's it's very strong traditions, I would say. Uh, we, In Dalarna, I mean. Yeah, mm. that's a, so we will probably celebrate the midsummer up there as well, yeah. And here comes the trick question. <coughs> do you have a folk direct? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> and for the, I mean, like some parts of Sweden, you have the traditional clothing, yeah. and it goes with like a, a very traditional culture and all that. And in Dalarna, it's super popular to do it. I, yeah, I remember I going to a Dalabrelop, a wedding in Dalarna. Yeah, yeah. And what is the coolest thing you can wear? Absolutely, yeah, the, the coolest thing. The eighteen-year-olds, the, the coolest kids in town, mm. 
Folktrack. Yeah. Super cool. I still remember, you know, when I started Spotify, this is like 10 plus years ago or something, but they, they tried to get me starting a bit quicker if, uh, yeah, from my old job. And the way they tried to lure me in is to said, if you <coughs> can start earlier, you will be in the big Spotify uh, midsummer party. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so this was actually the last year that they could actually arrange um, global like, party. Midsummer party for Spotify, all people flying in from all over the world to, to come here. And then seeing, you know, we actually were running around like trees um, and doing smogrodena, smogrodena, blah, 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 and then doing the full dance and everything. And for Americans that have never been to Sweden and seeing the idiotic Swedish going smogrodena, smogrodena, they were thinking, what is this country? What, what is this? They what are they doing? <laughs> that's great. And that's that's I, love great I love it. Party, I, uh, I love it. I love it. It was uh, yeah, fun time, and, but it, it's a weird tradition that we have in midsummer in Sweden, I guess. And yeah, and, and and is it you know how how old is it? Because it's it's some sort of, I would argue, almost pagan type. Uh, mm. I mean, like if you look at the midsummer song and all that, where is the whole thing coming from? Yeah. I, I I don't know. I don't want to speculate. I don't want to speculate it because I've heard some stories about what it's what it's supposed to look like. Yeah, yeah the symbol. Yeah. For, yeah. Oh. yeah. Actually, I have to brag a little bit about this because um, 10 years ago, we started a tradition to celebrate uh, Midsummer in Macedonia when I started the company there. <laughs> and uh, for, uh, no, it's now 12 years, we have been doing Midsummer in Macedonia. <laughs> so oh, all really? the employees, 100 employees, every every year we are flying mm. over seal and vodka, etc. And That's then great. we celebrate. But you're doing it in Macedonia. In right? Macedonia, right. Uh, Necessary is like because it makes it even more weird for the, yeah. because now this company has this strange party every year every. and the other Macedonians don't know. No, no but the, it becomes like you know when somebody does something yeah. and it's cool and people start to mimic it without knowing what it is. Mm. <laughs> it's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Are you having like Swedish flags yeah, as well? Yeah, so um, stong, everything, smoke group. Oh, okay, yeah. that's awesome. We also have another tradition. Tradition. What happened to the sound? No, no. Oh, okay. Yeah. We also have another tradition here today, actually, uh, which is the Almendalen yes. tradition. And, and what's up with that, Goran? Did you have some so that? Uh, so Almendalen is, uh, you know, one month from now, Almendalen is uh, <laughs> the, the biggest, actually, <laughs> what is called event we have in, uh, in uh, Sweden. We are for the public sector, how would you frame it? I, I would say it's not for the public sector. It used to be for the public sector. It's actually a gathering with all the politicians. They put the agenda for the year, and in the same time, you have all the public sector gathered. But uh, since uh, many years back, actually, private the, the private sector and especially the CXO suite is actually there. So, if you want to have one event that is seriously influencing or shaping actually the, the political and the public climate in Sweden, it will be Almedalen. Now, you have a Yerva. I think Yerba Vekan as well, but uh, it was Almedalen. So me and Anders, we were there in 2018, 2019, and Anders was telling me about this uh, fantastic, uh, what is called a summer. It's a special drink. It's a special drink, right. It's not something for sommeliers or people that are, you know. (laughs) It's not not for the um, snobs. Yeah, so the the idea was that there is a tradition of drinking uh, uh, rosé wine with uh, Fanta. Yes. And uh, to make the, 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 the long story very, very extremely short, it was a fantastic night. So uh, today, as we cannot be on Almedalen, 
mm. and Almedal is on one month. And this is our last and episode. This is our last episode. So today is Fanta Rosé for everyone. So that is it. With that, I think we should uh, make a, a small cheer for that. Cheers. It's uh, a 70 episode. 70? <coughs> 70, yeah, 70. 70. Rounding yeah. off. Yeah. The, the last for the season. Oh, last great. for the season. Yeah. The next one coming in September. So, yeah. yeah. Great. Cheers for that. Great. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks. There is actually a song for this. It's called like Et, Two, Three, Santa Ores. Okay, I'm not going to sing. Don't do that one. Don't go there. Don't go there. Like maybe we can do it at the after. Stop singing here. And instead of singing, let me welcome you here, Jens Gilving. We have been trying to get you on the show for quite some time, like half a year. I don't know for a long time, but you're finally here. Yes, and it's awesome to have you here for the season finale that that we do have today correct and um, in in my view actually you are one of the most experienced i would argue uh, people in sweden that have you know so much experience from various large organizations fa- very famous organizations yes uh, specifically in how to drive like data and, and ai initiatives correct. so with that i am very much looking forward to to hearing more and learning more from you and and your experience thanks i'm humble Thanks. Uh, I know you have a lot of experience as well, and I'm yeah. I'm looking forward to this podcast, you know, mm-hmm. and finally be here. Awesome. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. With that, how, let's start with uh, talking a bit about who is Jens. How would yeah. you describe yourself for people that haven't heard about you or uh, your background? Who is Jens? Right, right now, I'm working at uh, Electrolux as uh, head of the global platform data platform. Yes. Um, in fact, my, my career really started off uh, back in the days when I wrote my thesis together with a friend of mine, Anders. Uh, Not me, and, but and another. And another Anders, yes. in fact. Uh, we were studying in the US and we, got, uh, we came across some very interesting topics. Mm. And uh, when we got back to Sweden, to Växjö University, we sat down and uh, we started uh, drafting our thesis about why use data mining. And that's really, you know, what caught my interest uh, to this domain. What year was this approximately? So this uh, was uh, the spring of 1997. 97. So I would say I've been around since 1997 within this domain. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, it's been quite, quite a lot time. So yeah, as... Um, how should we call it? Uh, sil- there is a term for this: um, the silverbacks. Silverbacks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, you don't have much silver in your no. hair. No. Uh, no, he's not a proper silverback. He's so I don't. Too, uh, I don't color. I, you don't. No, so I don't. So okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm lucky. <laughs> I think you know anyone twenty plus in the business is is um, acceptable to be called a silverback, even though you still Facts. don't. Yeah, and and and, and it's this whole thing. Uh, we've been going through the, the we call it data mining, and now we have the databases, the data where I mean, like the whole journey here, right? A lot of buzzwords. A lot of buzzwords all the way yeah. through. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> The more, the merrier. Yeah. So in '97, you you started to work with the other unders, and that was Växjö University before yeah. it was called Linnaeus as well. And yeah, I was actually working in Växjö and Cal- or Kalmar University at that time ah, as okay. well. Yeah, and later in Same Linnaeus, province. yeah. And it's so, nice to have another you know local from Småland here as well. Yes. So, so that was your introduction into data science, or how did that interest start building up? No, I, w- I would say, you know, at that point in time, it was eventually not called data science. It was more like general business intelligence, I mm. would say. 
So I started off my career for a major consultancy firm that really built my platform within the area. So I was working with BI in a different different industries. And and we had the t- but the term BI was there. Yes. And or eventually yes, I would say so. Yeah. Because I, I, I think it, I think it Howard Dresner invented the word uh, or recaptured the word in 1984 or something like that uh, when he was working for Gartner. So I, I would say, yeah. Uh, or, or it was a decision support systems at that point of time. No? Eventually, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, but we, we, we kind of meet together with uh, some, some really great colleagues uh, uh, started to ramping up the, the, the BI Mm. activities at that uh, uh, consultancy, consultancy, yeah. consultancy mm. firm. Yeah. Right. And, and can you name some interesting highlights from that time? Some companies or some yeah, project that was formative course, in some yes, way? I have, a, in fact, I have a great memory. We did, uh, we did uh, uh, the first version of decision support for Apotheket, the pharmaceutical oh. one. Oh, interesting. So we were working directly for the CFO and uh, at that point in time, uh, S-Base was uh, very uh, heavily used, like uh, yes, yes. Uh, Molap, multi-Olap uh, ah, yeah, of course, of course. And um, uh, so I started off there, and then I kind of pulled uh, an old uh, colleague of mine, uh, Niklas, uh, together to that, uh, to that assignment as well. And we kind of was working very closely together to build the first version of, of decision support for Apotheket. Mm-hmm. And, w- w- and where was this used? Decision support in relation to what type of, do you remember? It's a long time ago. Yeah, I know it's a long time ago, but, but uh, you know, the first uh, experiences is you have stick. stick. It's like glue more yeah. or less. So <laughs> uh, we came uh, across some challenges, technical challenges. So we had to split the different cubes, if you put it that way. Mm. Um, uh, into, I think it was five different cubes, uh, so I would say. With different so types of focus. I mean, for people that don't know this, it's, it's just interesting to have, you know, some kind of educational part of this as well. And if you, if you were to compare OLAP versus OLTP or OLAP versus OLTP, how would you describe the difference? Uh, online transactional processing, mm-hmm. uh, compared to OLAP cubes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, the OLAP transactional processing—it's—it's—it's uh, it's more the transactions, you know, mm. that that are being aggregated. The 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 cube itself, at that point in time, at least, you had to load all the data into the cube, and then you had to compute the data into mm. the cube be, to prepare it for analysis. Would you um, agree that one way to, to phrase the differences is that the purpose of OLTP is more for operational purposes and yes. relational databases to just you know, make the applications work themselves and OLAP is more for analytical purposes yes. and then yes. you can... That's that's the way you distinct, distinguished it uh, at that point in time. Yeah, yeah. correct. Yeah, I remember I, g- I gave some courses in this <laughs> 20 years ago as well. It's, it's uh, yeah. yeah, but I think that the, the, the terminology OLAP OLTP is still is relevant. Mm. And I think this is still a discussion. And then and, and one of the debates are, are they converging? Ooh. I think there are different ways. Okay, yeah. okay, I think there are different ways in a big data era to to work with data that does not potentially include star schemas and cubes and dimensions and fact tables, et cetera, that they had at that time. Right. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Or? 
Could, could you elaborate a bit more? If if you in your current position you were to have some more analytical like uh, system support, and I you know we shouldn't. Sometimes we use a lot of buzzwords, and it can be like data lakes, and it can be data warehouses, it can be Lingo. data lake houses, the data yes. march, data meshes. There can be yeah, so many different things. Do you have a preferred way? You know, if someone that is not knowledgeable in how to build an analytical platform, and now you're head of of the data platforms there as well in in Electrolux, how would you say the proper terms to use is at this time? Uh, it's a hard question, I know, but ah, uh, it's 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 a tricky one. Um, but um, you know, um, at Electrolux, uh, mm. we have decided to. Um, democratize data yeah. by using a federated approach. Oh, federated meaning in this sense that, you know, we're trying to rely on the different parts of the organization to onboard the actual data platform. Right. Okay. Um, and uh, this is a modern data platform uh, that are using the uh, data lake house technology. Oh, lake house. I yes. Like and and uh, uh, Trying to explain that it, it's like a bimodal approach by saying that one part of, of the actual data platform is a data lake and the other part is more, you know, typical data warehouse or data march or something like that. So a single system to handle them both yes. instead of having two separate systems. Exactly. A exactly. single lake to rule them all. Yes. No, but I, I, I think the, the, the main challenge has always been like when it's too far distance be between you know, what has been the sort of the, the lake technology, the big data stack and data warehouse technology completely somewhere else. And now we figure out how can we compartmentalize data warehouse use cases or design patterns as part of the bigger platform. So we can yeah. talk about platform and within the platform, we have different design patterns for different purposes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very uh, important to remember because you, you read, uh, you need to enable both uh, traditional like analytical reporting dashboard mm. uh, typical bi yeah, business still useful. we still yes. need these reports absolutely, absolutely. i would call it the bread and butter yes. kind of you know I, solutions even if you do a machine learning and operational ai this but, is but, but but then you know when it comes to the key differentiator it's it's more about the the um, data discovery it's about the ai advanced analytics and then you need to dig down to the sea of data more or less and uh, which you can find more in the data lake side so yeah let's not dig too deep already it was my fault I, I <laughs> you know what topic. it's a little bit like um <laughs> you've been uh, what do you call it oh I, I need to have a technical conversation I haven't had a technical so you, you yes you I feel starved yeah. for you start start but I'll add this as a topic yes and later we get back to Electrolux you know what the Future will look like I, there in the current strategies that you I actually have. want to frame that one of the topics. Yes. I, I want to explore the definition of what makes up a platform. Yes, I love it as well. Uh, I add that. That's, mm. that's hard. Ah, but I, I like it because yeah, we'll do it I, I actually like the term platform much more than data lakes. Yeah, but what is a, yeah. what yeah. Make, what constitutes yes. a platform? Yeah. I mean, awesome. Let's get back to your background as well. And you mentioned that you started to uh, yeah do the studies that you had in Vecchio in '97, and then moved forward and you did some consultancy. Yeah, you worked with Apotheket. You had some kind of 
OLAT uh, experience. Yeah, experience. Um, no, and and uh, of course, you know, I, I came across some other industries. I spent a lot of time working in the telecom industry as well um, uh, for for a major company here in Sweden. Mm-hmm. Um, so during my consultancy years, I came across uh, a number of very interesting companies and industries. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I felt was that, you know, when it came to the more strategic decisions, um, oh, most often mm-hmm. I would say you, you, as a consultant, you, you, you were not in the same room, so yeah. to say. So, uh, then I decided, I decided to make a switch over to line organizations. And, uh, you know, I've been working in different positions there, mainly as a manager or director or so. That's an interesting topic in itself. And we've touched upon this before, but if you were to just try to list the pros and cons of working as a consultant versus working directly in a line organization, mm. how would you phrase that? What are the pros and cons you would say of working? I guess both have pros and cons. But what, how would you describe the pros and cons of that, working as a consultancy I, or line organization? I think that's a very good question. Um, and uh, it has struck me a few times th- throughout the years. Um, working as a consultant means, most often means that you work with people who are quite specialized in what are they doing. They really have the domain knowledge. Um, and also when you are on an assignment uh, to some extent, you can, you don't have to bother about the politics. Right. I think and that, that's I, a pro or it's a con. Yeah, I would say that's a pro. Yes. Uh, you know, from when, when, when you're in a consultancy situation, uh, I think that's the, the most uh, beneficial one, I would say. Yeah. So you can just leave and you can laugh and you have, you know, some... You know, you, you now some people may not, uh, you know, understand what they mean with that. They think, you know, are you speaking about in different party, pol- uh, democratic parties or something or what type of politics? But but I guess what you mean is that there are politics basically in any kind of large organization. Yes, I would say so. Absolutely. That, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, who's who's really the one to make the right decisions and yeah. and. Uh, that, that there's uh, always uh, people driving their own agenda, you yeah. know, eventually. And, and we have, we have uh, per default, competing agendas yeah. in, in a large enterprise. So it, it's always a balance of these agendas. Yes. So, and, and um, as a consultant, sometimes you can be very efficient because you are, you don't need to be in all these different stakeholder conversations, but you can focus on the task and deliver on a very yes. specific task. Yeah. So I was swinging back to your question, Anders, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's uh, the key benefit with the, the consultancy. And within the line organization, I think it's more that you're part, if you're lucky, I would say that you're part of all the strategic decisions and right. you have better insights on, you know, the long-term perspective, um, uh, but also, um, uh, I was going to say something else. Um, well, you, you don't have to uh, think about really, you know, invoicing and, and charging and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Many, many people, at least in s- senior positions, when you're working for a consultancy firm, you know, you have both a delivery and eventually some kind of sales um, activity that you need to yeah. attend to. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And see, some a bit biased in, in this question i'm trying to phrase myself properly <laughs> here um, but but I, I certainly see there are pros and cons with with both uh, type of roles that you can have 
And, and as I, as you said, you know, being part of the actual more long-term strategic decisions and actually seeing things through and, and being able to own it you know, and, and feel this is actually something that we have done yeah. and, and are, you know, trying to really drive through is a big yeah, pro, I guess, of, of being part of the line organization, right? Yeah. And, and it, you, what do you think? I mean, you have been part no, of both uh, as well. My, my, my reflection and what I would like to have uh, Jan's view on is, uh, is our understanding for, you know, consulting and how consulting should work changing? Mm. Or should it change? Yeah, yeah. And and I think you, you're onto mm. something here. Um, I mean, like we have had several guests. Uh, Donnie Langberg was onto mm. this as well. So so when we say consulting, I mean like you have a, a big spectrum here, right? You have some people who are really much from a strategy consultant. Mm. Daniel came in in eight weeks. We do an IT strategy. Whoa. You know, we work like our asses off. We do something amazing in eight weeks and then we do the next one again somewhere else. Mm. And we never get to see. I mean, like this is one part of consulting. I mean, if I take my own consulting I've been doing uh, lately, uh, which is almost based on the fact that I hate consultants, <laughs> it, it's this problem, right? That <laughs> No, seriously. I mean, like the, the problem is more and more, I think, that uh, I've been on both sides. I've yeah. been consulting for a long time and then been on line, line organization many times. And then when I come back now, I'm more on, on the consulting side again. Mm. My my outlook on consulting is very different, mm. and and I think what I'm trying to say here is that I I look at myself and how I was acting or thinking uh, when I was young and consultant. Then I'm going to go in and save them. Mm. It's this hero mentality as a consultant, mm. and when I've been on the other side, that that is completely shattered. <clears throat> it doesn't work like that, right? So. So now I'm, th I'm very much into the core idea that the company needs to own their change. And, and, and any consulting or any support you need can never change that. So, the, so to me, the template for what consulting should be all about now is peer, is, is peer, is something else, right? I'm, I'm, I'm here it's to- It's more a partnership. It's than a, a partnership, it's very long-term, and it's basically not for Norben. It, it is really not for Norben. It's a little bit like, okay, yeah. how can I make you succeed? And how can I then work through you? How can I empower you type consulting? And, and, and now this is on one layer. And then we come to, okay, we have a real problem here. We need to supplement with some talents mm. in gaps we have. Okay, fix that. But I think the core mindset here is that to become data and AI driven, what we are talking about, you need to have your own people doing it. And then, exactly. of course, they need to hold someone's hand sometimes. Yeah, But I it's different, right? It's you, different. You, you can't really outsource your no, change. I don't think so. No, you Never. can't. And, Absolutely and I, not. I think, I think it's easy to teach yourself a little bit that you. it's easy to bring consultants on board. You know, it's more that you need to eventually sometimes do both, but you need to build up your own staff and your own people as well. But thinking from a company or organization point of view of why or why not to bring on consultancies, I guess one thing is that it is really hard to find senior talents in the data space. Yeah. And if you want to get started quickly, it could be a good way to get bootstrapped, right? Or to get quickly started or, or what, yeah. what would you think, Jens? I would say my experience is, is it's, a, it's all about networking. 
uh, having a good uh, good uh, network um, mm. um you need to take care of your reputation mm. i think it's important that you know um the best uh, evidence is when you have old employees want to uh, go back to you as a manager i think that has happened to me a number of times mm. uh, which makes me proud mm. and and also humble um i think that's very important to be successful this yes. area yeah. i fully um, agree and and it's it's um we all uh, know um how diffi- difficult to, it is to to recruit the right people for the right level or mm. or roles yeah. so you you need to be very uh you know you you need to give it give it some time so to say and and uh, mm. but, but in a long term you want to own it i guess yes and of course yes. but but i, I think the, your question there from my t- my take on that is that what is really shifting is the fundamental uh, objective and mind shift why do i bring the consultant in mm. do i bring that person in to solve it for me mm. i don't want to know about it they and, and then you know almost like okay outsourcing i would argue mm. mental outsourcing yeah. or do, do you do i want to bring someone else to help me build something mm. that i should own mm. and that whole mindset is it's a game changer in terms of how do you procure and how how do you set up the relationships that is not for you to have a managed service with me over time mm. and make yourself indispensable it's basically to make yourself redundant as fast as possible mm. yeah and i, I you, think you I can think, do both i think so but it's all about understanding your sourcing strategy as yes. well I, th- i think that's very important that already from start you t- you understand okay this is some kind of target model that we want to work with exactly and and if if we kind of kick off with the staff augmentation and co-manage to move over to managed services yeah mm. it it could vary depending on what area you're working with i i, I think that answer is spot on and what i give an example snapshot a little bit what we did at, at scania where we of course in our team have used consultants and I was an interim manager so I'm I'm a strange one right so I'm I'm, in, I'm an FTE in the management books so to speak but I'm an interim manager mm. but for all purposes Scania right mm. and we built a competence ladder like a transition ladder where you can kind of see now we have 80 20 like this and then how in what roles how do we how, what is our sourcing what is our ladder in order to absorb that into Scania. Mm. And we need we did that very deliberate. And we did that uh, with IT roles where we okay, we're going to have this Scania IT resources in Södertälje, we're going to have this Scania IT resources in Pune, and we're going to use consultants in this way. And I think that's I think the sourcing strategy mindset as you highlighted yeah. is mm. if you have that then you can be relaxed in run yeah. how you use consultants. Because it really boils down to what kind of strategy you need to when you are uh, recruiting yeah. and attracting talent as well. Yes. <coughs> Interesting. <coughs> But going back then to your uh, consultancy days and then you moved into a line organization. What was the first company that you moved into from a more line organization point of view? Mm. Real estate. It was uh, Vasa Kronan. Oh, really? Yeah. Vasa Kronan. So I, I would say that's probably my only, you know, uh, job experience where I not purely worked with with uh, analytics. Yeah. So, okay. So what does that mean? What besides analytics did you work with there? I mean, it was kind of re. 
how would you say, uh, retransformation of, of the, the IT side, mm, meaning right. that we kind of uh, procured new uh, financial system, CRM system, portable uh, mobile uh, gadgets for, for the technicians out in the different uh, real estates. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, in a later stage, you know, it would have been more analytics, but mm. at that stage, it was like uh, a transplantation of, of your heart and lungs and everything from an IT perspective, you know, mm. all the core systems needed to be replaced more or less. Mm. But it was a great experience. Uh, absolutely. Should you, should you do a reorg, <clears throat> both in terms of data analytics or AI, at the same time as you do a bigger, like, general IT kind of reorganization or how or do you, how do you think you should do that from a reorg perspective or yeah from like what's the process i mean should you start with you know reorging the the whole IT infrastructure that you do have how you, how you run the legacy systems that you may be running uh, or should you do that in parallel could can you actually do start quickly in parallel to, to move into a more data-driven analytical kind of um, initiative, while at the same time, perhaps yeah. in reorging uh, the, the, the rest of the IT organization. Yeah, so if I understand you correctly, it's like the whole company or the business yeah. or just the analytics department? Yeah, or well, the whole, I mean, at least the, the IT systems or the, the different type of IT, you know, uh, systems that may Landscape. be supporting the finance that you may having, the supply chain that you may having, the, the warehouses that you may yeah. having, the whatever, the sales that you may have, yeah. all of them have different IT systems that yeah. are supporting them. I, I would say uh, <laughs> there is no general uh, rule of thumb. Mm. So. Yeah, it, it's all dependent on the actual situation. Uh, I think if you start to drive a lot of, of concurrent uh, changes at the same mm. time, it's a it's a bigger risk. Yes. So I would say that if you try to minimize the risk, it's it's better. Mm. Uh, um, but you know, of course, I've, I've come across cases where you are like changing a lot of you know the IT landscape. Mm. For instance, when I was working for Axe Food, we had a major SAP implementation at the same time uh, as we were like uh, um, uh, changing the, the analytics landscape at the yeah. same time, meaning that we wanted to consolidate uh, the data warehouse uh, for, for a new one. Mm. Uh, so sometimes you're lucky and you don't have too many par parallel things at the same time. Sometimes mm. you need to, to just... Um, Except uh, yeah. that there is a lot of things going on at the same time. But yeah. Let me refer yeah, that quickly to, to continue on this topic because um, I, th I think what you say is for one uh, important, which is trying to minimize the number of parallel changes that you are trying to succeed <coughs> with at the same time. But then, um, if you look at the two extremes, one extreme could be change everything separately and in parallel in extreme. And that, of course, is, is very dangerous and has a lot of risks to it. The other extreme is let's take one system at a time and let's not perhaps, let's put the data analytics in the end. So we first have to have a food, fully compliant and modern kind of systems for the rest of the organization. And then later we start to be more data driven and BI and potentially AI driven as well. I guess that's dangerous as well if you go to that extreme. Yes, right? ex ex absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think. 
reality, maybe maybe something in between. I would yeah. say, but uh, but um, with, without naming any names, in in as you say, we need our network. Yeah. So I was talking to someone in our network. Yeah. At, at one of the uh, uh, in in the finance industry, let's leave it at that, and then not go more specific than that. And I think he said it really well uh, in relation to. You know, data platform or transformation, and and it, it was that really challenging Tetris puzzle to trying to organize order of attack of things when you go into large enterprises yeah. like we have been working in. Uh, we are talking two hundred initiatives, and they are sort of how are they interrelated, and is the, is 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 someone depending on the other mm. one. And uh, the summary is that whatever you do, your ass is always behind you. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're screwed, right? So how can we? So I think then connecting that back. Now we're talking complex, right? How do I minimize risk? And I think to manage parallelism, or uh, and and not for the whole company, but for 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 the teams. Mm. I would argue that for the teams, <clears throat> if there are two. If they're running on too many objectives or initiatives at the same time, it's really hard to prioritize. Yes, it is. So for, for the individual team, depending on where you are, here <clears throat> we want to be more sharp, right? I, I think what's key here, especially when it comes to enterprise uh, size of companies, yeah. I think uh, like program or portfolio management is extremely important uh, to be able to understand <sighs> the big pictures and break it down to the smaller project levels and see how everything is connected really. Uh, if, if that's lacking, uh, then you're, you, you're in deep trouble. Oh, now here we have a pet topic of mine. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, it's, I think this is absolute key, how we navigate our investments in our opportunity landscape, so yeah. key. And, I, and then I think there's a huge paradigm shift here, how we have done it project-based, business case versus now much more product oriented <clears throat> value streams you know so there's there's a shift here how this portfolio should look like and work and there's a clash going on mm. in the big corporate so this is a really interesting topic if you want to go deeper later mm. on why do we fail mm. yeah why do we fail we certainly have that as a topic so but okay, interesting. And uh, finding the right balance there in how to proceed with a transformation um, that mm. I guess so many companies need to have. Uh, and you've been part of that in, in so many different places as well. And finding that balance between the extremes in some way, in, in either doing it in sequence or in parallel or finding somewhere in between to optimize the portfolio or how to rephrase it. Uh, yeah. No, it's like, it, it's this topic of investment steering for the short to mid to long term, for the immediate gains to something that scales, uh, all these dilemmas, right? It's yeah. so many different dilemmas. And, and, and you, so you're balancing agendas. That, that's what this is all about. Yeah, I, I, yeah. you're right. I, I, have, I have an analogy that I, I like mm. to use. Do you remember yeah. how we play the game Labyrinth? Mm. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so this is a big, big, big game of labyrinth. Yeah, you're right. That's what it, it's moving in three axes. In three or four axes. Yeah, <laughs> four, words, yeah. Three in yeah. yeah. But it's not bipolar, right? It's no. not short or is you know the dilemma is to calibrate 
on several axes at yes. the same time. You're right. But I think also, you know, one dimension of those 3Ds potentially is the long and short term dimension. And, and I think one challenge, at least in my experience, is that if you only make huge investments in long term, like in, in five years, we will have this kind of awesome system that everyone will enjoy. And that, that, that I would argue would be super risky thing if that's the only thing you're doing. If you can't, if you only do the other extreme, very, very, you know, short term investments, you never find the big scale up effect that you can do if you do more long term investments. So both extremes, I, I would argue, and please disagree, if you want, uh, is dangerous. So what you need to find here as well is the balance between how can we make investments that pay off only in long term, many years ahead. And at the same time, find short-term gains. Find, you know, in a couple of months after doing something, we actually start seeing a value for this in the company. Mm. If we don't see that short-term, the risk is that we are, you know, investing so much in things that we haven't even tried out and turns out to be completely useless because the whole company had changed at that time. Or who knows? Mm. Would I you? Yeah. yeah, I think what you're saying is key. And I, I think this is the, the, one of the most important areas when it comes to analytics in this area, mm. because it usually drives a lot of cost and investments. Yeah. Uh, so based on my experience, I, I would say it's, in, it's very important that you use your strategy, um, uh, use your strategy as an enabler and mm. as a communication package to explain the direction where you're going, right. like in like two, three years uh, from now. But what you need to do as well, you need to break down the strategy in, in value cases, analytical it's value right cases, now, and the package that and make it very clear. So that's the key, you know, in my sense to a success. Okay. And, and because then you can start outlining and you can use different streams where you deploy value for the business. It could be like analytical insights. It could be, it could be uh, increasing the data literacy as well for, for the business, educating them. Um, I mean, I remember when we, when I was working for this major insurance company, I had a great team and we fill up this auditorium only inviting the business, okay? And it was like a show, more or less. You know, we had really cool music playing. We had some cool animations. Uh, we had, uh, I, through my network, I invite, invited a, a very good um, public speaker. Uh, and then I, I had the rest of the team presenting, you know, they, they, were, they did a, just a fantastic uh, job. I'm so proud of them. Uh, and it came out really, really, really good. Um, so you can, you, you can do different things to, to show this value and how you package it mm -hmm. over but time. I, but I really want to emphasize one thing you said here, right in the beginning. And I just want to check if I understood it right, because I think this is quite profound. The challenge is if we look at this bipolar, oh, we need to do the big steps and we need to do replatforming like like some roadmap. And then we have our operational use cases where the real value is yeah. over here. So what I think what you're saying when we are taking this big direction and breaking it down, we always want to use the real use cases, the real value creators as the vehicles. And then yes. we kind of want to I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to string out the story around the use cases and the value we're creating and then I'm going to use that as the vehicle for fix that part of the platform and then I'm going to fix that part of the platform. 
you see, is that sort of what you're meaning? Exactly. I think that's very important to stress out. So let's say for this insurance company, we picked out a few value cases. It was completely technical driven from start. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I pulled the handbrake, the, the brake, and then we sat down with the business and we decided upon, you know, what are the true value cases that we can deliver? Um, uh, and And we were kind of, you know, creating a thin slice throughout the the whole platform, the whole architecture to just deliver that more or less, uh, to be able to to very rapidly show the value for the business. So, and this is so important, right? Because if you do it in this way, it actually gives you an order of attack how to build your platform just in time, yes. value, use case by letting the vehicle of the use case drive the platform scaling. But what's key is that you really need to have a very good blueprint to work from. Yes. So it's like, you know, you, you will build your house and you will build your garage or whatever, you know, but you, you have that blueprint in front of you uh, and then you decide, okay, to bring some value very quickly, d- just start with a piece of it, more or less. It could be the garage in this case, maybe right. a bad example, but it's just that you, you need to understand the overall picture, even that you're just creating a, th- a small slice of the, the, the architecture. Oh, we, we are so in sync on this, and sorry for stealing it. Yeah. But because, because <laughs> if you have the house analogy, we have the blueprint, we know we're gonna build the blueprint. And now I have a problem. I need to move into this house, even if it's not built yet. So, so we, we're going to make some hard choices here. Okay, we really need our toilets. We need our kitchen. And we need one house, play, room where all the family can sleep. Yeah. Okay, let's do that first. Let's mm. cut out that slice of the platform of the house. And then we can add, uh, you know, the living room. And, and the cinema room we can do last. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> <laughs> But I think that's a great uh, thinking. Yeah, that, that I, f- I think that's really the deal breakers when you when you talk about successful cases in this area, and you you only learn by you you know you by your mistakes, of course, you know. And <clears throat> yeah, having the long term vision, but also the way forward towards it, which may not always go in a straight line, so no, to speak. No, right, exactly. it, it can take some turns, you know, but it still should <clears throat> be at least in the direction of the vision that you have long term. But right? but. I think you highlight then, then the problem is how many has a decent blueprint? I mean, like we have it, right? But do we have it in the way we need to have it in order? Because if you, if you have it, you don't need to have it to the nitty gritty detail, but you kind of need to have something in order to that, make those prioritizations, decisions. Yeah. I, would say, I would say it depends on, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't have any like, uh, figures on how many or how the percentage percentage of course but i think the cases i've come across Mm. that is not very successful they don't have the good blueprint in place so they don't have anything to make the decision against no really and and if if you really want to um talk about that part i think the blueprint should really uh, support the overall business needs in creating insights and analytical use cases. So to some extent you need to, the way I, I usually think is that my, my, my starting point is, okay, what's the need for the business? Okay, what, what their insights, analytical capabilities do they want to drive over time? Some parts of, of it might be known, some parts 
might be not known. So you, then you need to rely on, on leading practice. Okay. So looking at the best players out there, what are they doing and steal with pride? Okay. Mm-hmm. But when you have an idea about that, you can use some different techniques to do that. You can build this analytical framework that kind of, you know, displays the, the capabilities and the insight areas very well. Uh, and can be used together with the business to understand, okay, what part should we start with? What's the priorities, etc. When you have that in place, then you need to, okay, so how can we deliver that? And that's really the, when technology comes into play, you know, and technology today, that's not really a problem more or less. It's not, it might be the case that you need to understand what technology the is the best is one. Which yes, exactly. So. And, and maybe from a cost perspective, which is like, you know, what what's fits best, best in, in the overall strategy for that company more or less. But, but, and, and so it's, it's an ecosystem that needs to work together, I would say. Yeah. I mean, awesome. And uh, that really was cool. a great discussion about, you know, how to reorganize like both the IT, but also data and AI in, in sequence or in parallel and different ways going there, having a long-term vision and, and then a path, sometimes crooked path, but at least a path in the same direction. <laughs> it's never straight though, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm eager to do a pride joke here, but I don't go there. <laughs> um, okay. Awesome. And, and you've been at so many places here and I'm, I'm trying to avoid having to go through all of them. No, you don't have to. <laughs> that's fine. But you mentioned, I, I think, the insurance use case, and I guess that was from Volkssam as well. Yes, correct. Right? Yeah. If you still, you know, you've been at so many interesting companies like H&M and Oracle and Arvis Vermeerling and the yeah. employment agency that we have, etc. And we, we, of course, going to focus on Electrolux um, more later. But if you just were to give some highlights, perhaps, from your background uh, at these kind of companies, anything specifically that you can mention about them, perhaps differences, the pros that they have, something that highlights, you know, what is specific for H&M, Oracle? In in uh, general, I would say, you know, I'm very, every company I work for has given me a lot of fantastic experiences and a chance to meet uh, great colleagues uh, because everything has, that has really boiled down to the person, person I am today from mm-hmm. a, from an experience point of view. Uh, and that's to me, that's very valuable. Mm-hmm. So, um, I would say the first uh, real, uh, strategy that was developed was when I was uh, at X Ax- food. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that's a, a very important, uh, uh, period in my life because, uh, you know, we created a lot of value and I, I was very fortunate to recruit a, a whole organization more or less. Mm-hmm. And I have a very good uh, relationship with a few of those, uh, employees still. So, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, that meant a lot to me. It, it's a great company. Um, and, uh, and Axfood, what do they do? do that's a food people? retail and wholesale operations, I would say. Mm. And a Swedish company. Yes, yes, it is. Um, I would say probably the second largest in in Sweden. Oh, really? How many employees do they have today? I don't know. Uh, I'm not up to date to the numbers, but I guess they are uh, right behind IKEA. So, yeah. 
but but that, that that's a that's a great company. Um, maybe I'm, I'm I'm trying to move around a little bit from like line organizations to moving over to the dark side. <laughs> and what's the dark side? It could be Darth Vader. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I spent some time working for Oracle. And, yes, uh, to me, <laughs> yeah, that's the dark side. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. No, I, I had the opportunity to, to work for Oracle for, for quite some time. So we and have about 10,000 employees in Axfield today. Okay, it's, it's, it's excellent when we have some support here on the, the right-hand side. <laughs> um, no, but I think that was very valuable for me um, because I got some more insight mm. how it works uh, working for the software industry, yeah. like the leading edge of technology. At that point in time, it was a lot of talk about the engineering systems. Mm -hmm. Uh, Larry himself, that he said something about, you know, cloud is just, no, that's not our way to go. Oops, really? sorry, I, <laughs> I did a mistake. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, but um, that was very valuable and, and, you know, interacting with customers. Uh, I think that was one of the reasons why they wanted to hire me as well, because I had a very strong uh, presence in customer, uh, customer interaction. Uh, so uh, I learned a lot from that and how important it is to take care of your customers, mm. not really to get that signature on a, on a piece of paper and, and everything, you know, and uh, yeah. Um, um, you know, Oracle, of course, is an American company as well. And, and Larry Ellison, you know, he's also... Um, very, very American. <laughs> yeah, but he's a famous person, of course. Well, right, he's, the, he's the epitome of the American dream. Yes. But you, given that, that you worked for, for this kind of American company, of course, with an office in Sweden, I guess, at that time. Yes. How would you describe the differences between, you know, what's typical for an American company versus a Swedish organization? It, it's a little bit difficult to compare Oracle's office here in, in Stockholm because I think they, they were very much sales oriented. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, if you compare to their headquarters and, and other mm. offices in, in the US, for yeah. instance, you know, they have a lot of product, product development and engineering and stuff like right. that. So, but how uh, here in the outskirts, in the north, <laughs> it is more of, of sales and eventually some kind of marketing functions, uh, you know. Um, mm. And um, but, but there is my, my impression was really it, it's a lot of individuals um, driving their own, mm. you know, path more or less. So and and yeah. the, the is that typically it, American, you would say? Or? No, I, no, no, I, no, uh, I don't know really. Uh, but the incentivement was really money, uh, you know, bonus, and, and um, that that was how the the structure was working more or less. But I, I mean. Maybe there, there's a big change going on in American companies as well right now, and even driven by the pandemic itself. You know, you know, you have a lot of people working from home in a different way. Um, at least to my understanding from my time in the U.S., I have both relatives in the U.S. and, and I spend a lot of time there, you know, through my university studies as well. So um, the mindset is very much that you spend a lot of time at the office, but you might doesn't be it doesn't mean that you are efficient all the time when you're, when you're at the office there's a lot of face time so mm -hmm. to that so to say I, I think we we have to given the how many quote quotes and quotations we we give to elon musk we, we have to add one more here um 
And he said something, I'm trying to remember how he phrased it uh, <laughs> yeah. recently, which is... Just the other day, I guess. Uh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it was something... Get in or get out. Yeah. I mean, something, either you come to the office or, or you don't work for us. Or, yeah, no, I'm yeah, paraphrasing, yeah. but, but exactly, something like yeah. that. Yeah, you're right. I saw it as well. Yeah. What do you think <clears throat> about... It is, I guess Elon Musk is not a typical anything. No. He's atypical in any kind of, every kind of sense, but... It's very non-Swedish, at least, to, to make that kind of statement, wouldn't you say? Agree? Yes, uh, I, I would say so. I think he's very, very challenging as a person, no matter what, yeah. really. Uh, he's not like the ordinary type of guy. No. Uh, I, now, <clears throat> given the, the, the situation after the pandemic, it's a little bit bold, I would say, to yeah. to stress out your your opinion about something like that. I think every company today is is have understood the value of having you know working from home, so to say. Do you think? I, I think you know he, he thinks two steps or ten steps ahead all the time. I saw some quotes or some papers saying they had to cut the number of employees at Tesla or something, and, and this potentially could be one way to do it. Do you think there could be any way in, in that, or otherwise you would think that a CEO's primary like goal is to, to be able to recruit talents, and, and this doesn't sound like it, but it could be a strategy to actually be able to cut out the, the worst. It could be, <laughs> but it, but I, I but I, I have a little bit of comment because I mean regarding this, if you saw that there were two emails that he actually sent, mm -hmm. and the first one was uh, take it or leave it situation, and the second yeah. one when he explains why. Yeah. And in the second one that he's explaining, and in the explanation, it says that basically you should be reminded that I was sleeping in the in the factory for many times so I yeah. can present an example for all the people that are there. We are here to build like a very good products. Mm -hmm. And the only way how we can build products is basically together. Mm -hmm. So it's a great statement, but also it's a little bit as a CEO. I, for me, I think it's a very emotional thing to... Uh, explain yourself in that way that because I have done it, now yeah. you need to be in the office. So I think it's a very much emotional type of a decision making rather than PR, which is very typical for him before, you know, considering his uh, tweets to but make like a night on a white Twitter. <laughs> and things like I, that. I just want to make a small um, reflection. <laughs> and that is, we have had a couple of comments on, on social media from different various sources, you know, like, you know, the whole debate, how much should we be in the office? And for anyone who is not sort of, you know, the world's richest man in, in <laughs> and, and the most innovative man uh, right now, whatever, we, how we can define it. Typically, if someone says, oh, we need to be five days in the office or two days in the office or three days in the office, or, oh, boo you are so old school, blah, blah, blah. And then it's interesting now when, when, when someone who is sort of personified as cutting edge in all areas, fast, in all areas, mm. in, from thinker to execution, to what he's doing and how he's innovating. So, so it's a little bit like when he said it, it's a little bit like, I, I, I used to, it as, as, I thought it was a little bit funny, like, because I've, it's almost like I read some something much more, mild tweet or something in the same neighborhood which should kind of be in the office and it was completely booed out and then mm. because he said it 
oh, he's God. Mm. Maybe there's some value <laughs> to this. God. <laughs> uh, but it just, and what I'm trying to say, it's, it's just reflecting over. If he was in Sweden and he said that, yeah. you would see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would be a stronger reaction. It would be a stronger reaction because here we are also, and we are more decentralized in our decision making and culture Absolutely. and cons- consensus. And mm-hmm. um, so it wouldn't fly, right? And, and in Sweden, people would walk. Um, but it's, I, I was just reflecting over the herd, you know, how, how, <laughs> how we are thinking about this. And then when the right person says something, it's yeah. easy to latch on. Mm. If, if I take the final comment, it just shows how tricky this question is in terms of balancing how do I build culture yeah, versus absolutely. how do I have the maximum value and life balance for an individual. Mm. So there, so there, I mean, like there are so many facets why you need to go left or right on mm. this question. I mean, once again, it's a, you know, you can see pros and cons of working in the office or, or not. And uh, it, it's a really difficult choice. I don't really have a good no, I, answer to this. Um, do you have any thoughts about that? What, what do you <clears> think that given the post, you know, pandemic times that we do have, how would you prefer an organization to handle working from home or not? I think, you know, after spending something like one and a half, two years working from home, um, I really appreciate meeting my my colleagues. Yeah. Uh, spending time together, just stand there together in front of a whiteboard or whatever, just interacting together. I think that's maybe value that even more. Um, but then at the same time, I think it's important to give an opportunity to work from, you know, flexible, uh, a flexible yeah. environment, you know, where you, when you, that allows you to work from home as well. Mm. I think that's super important because I, some companies that I worked for has been extremely old fashioned, mm. meaning that if you're not at the office, you're not working. Uh, and with modern technology, IT and whatever, you know, you, you, that gives you a lot of opportunities uh, to work, do a lot of work from home. And, uh, you know, at least from my point of view, I think I even worked more mm. during the, the years of the pandemic than, uh, you know, than before. I've seen uh, some studies claiming that, that uh, you actually are more productive when working from home. Yeah. Who, who knows? So, but some, sometimes you know. it's, it's not a good thing either because, you know, the... the <laughs> The, 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 how you the the line between work and home is not that clear, so mm-hmm. to say, and and that's really what you need to be careful about, I would say. But so I would say, if if you offer your employees uh, working from home like two or three days, that's that's great. You know? But but I I have the final um, recommendation to Elon here. <laughs> okay. Okay. Give it. I think Elon should consider this problem with his own he should take his own medicine on this first principles so if you truly break down this problem to the core mechanics what are we really after do we really care about if where you work or do we care about visibility do we care about culture do we care about uh, interaction human relations you know so what do we truly care about and then you know breaking it down to the first principles how can we solve it given the tech. Yeah. I think I think you don't yeah. end up everybody in the office anymore. I think you end up with something else. First principles on the problem. That's my recommendation to Elon. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, fi- <laughs> final thing here. I think that <clears throat> also there is a quite a lot of strong movement that it will support this because if you see there is um, this um, this work from home is not for everyone, right? Yeah. So you will have some functions that needs to be in place, and there are some function that don't doesn't need to be. So basically, it's benefit for one, but disadvantage for the other. Exactly. And, I and I believe Absolutely. that his his approach to this. Although emotional type of a decision making, I would say it's because he doesn't want other people to feel less valued. And there is a very big, and we did like a lot of conferences now since the pandemic on people analytics, where we did when there is like a, a, a factual data behind like that the performance is, is increasing during uh, working from home, but the sense of belonging is decreasing. Right. And then yeah. the, 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 the life uh, work balance is also, uh, it's mixed up. And then you have like a early burnouts mm-hmm. um, and people basically just because they feel they attach and they work a lot and there is no more basic life work balance. You, you, it's, it's a little bit, we are, we are fighting with a new monster, but the thing is that what is the balance? I think that the balance is actually that people should have like an opportunity, maybe one or two days to be at home, or if they have like a something that they need to work to be at home, but still it cannot be disadvantage for one and advantage for the other one, mm-hmm. because on the end of the day, it should be like car. If you have a car, then you basically, depending on which type of a car you want, right? you own it by the company, you get tax for it. Mm. So if you're working from home, and this is not a proposal, uh, probably if you want to be at, uh, in, in, in um, fair for all, if this is considered as an advantage for one and disadvantage for the other, it needs to be balanced in some other form. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would agree. I mean, everybody's driving Tesla cars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can work in a Tesla car as well, much <laughs> yeah. easier, especially yeah. if it's full self, self-driving, right? <laughs> I just watched the latest, the beta version, 10.12.2, I think it was, and it's amazing how fast it's improving. Okay. And I think you can certainly work from the car mm. <laughs> as well as from the home or in the office if the interior is good yeah yeah uh, you don't think so in a tesla car <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> awesome okay i mean that's an interesting discussion about you know working from home or not i think but going back a bit to the highlights yeah and you spoke about axe food and, and you learned a lot about how to do that you spoke about you know going to the dark side a bit as well yeah star wars <laughs> i still don't see how oracle i, I can guess but I, I yeah let's not elaborate perhaps more of what you really joking. meant on no. what the dark side really means but it's it's certainly i can see a different experience than than some of the other organizations you have worked for sure any other highlights that you'd like to mention um that you worked um, for before electric. No, I think I think I just want to <clears throat> sorry. I just wanted to wrap up different areas. You know, you have line organizations, you have the consultancy industry, and you have the software industry, I would say. Mm-hmm. And everything um kind of connects to each other, you know, within within this area, which has given me a lot of experience uh, from mm-hmm. different perspectives, mm-hmm. which which is beneficial, of course. So maybe I should wrap it up a little bit, you know, where I started off with a, a major consultancy firm because uh, that was really where everything happened more or less. Um, so that, that was a great place to start working, you know, when especially when you're, you're quite green coming directly from- Was this from, cut? 
Yes, Capgemini. Capgemini. Yeah, and uh, you know they invested a lot in in education. I had some awesome, really colleagues, and and um, had a great opportunity to build up this competency area with them um, on on a national level within BI then, and um, um, and also to apply this, uh, you know, at different customers uh, in different industries uh, gave me already then, you know, a quite early understanding on the differences from, from different industries. And what I've, what I've heard quite recently, in fact, is that, oh, we are quite in, unique and we, we, this is how it works here. Yeah. But I'm sorry to say it doesn't work like that based on my own experience, because it's, it's, it's the same problems, it's the same mm -hmm. questions, everything comes back, but under a new logo type, mm -hmm. you know? And what's your opinion? Because yeah. no, I, I, I think we said that right before the show started, we're standing up in, in, in the staircase and I said, you know, we've been doing this now for a while and we've been working in different enterprises and Right now, I've been a long time in Scania, working very intensely only with Scania. And lately, I've been sort of talking to the network quite a bit again. And my strong feeling is that, I mean, like, uh, generically, where is the market at? Where is our maturity in Sweden at? And then if I, so it's different now to 2015 or 16 when we started Data Innovation Summit. Mm -hmm. But right here and now, this year, 2022, where our headspace is at and where our real problem is at, I think is the fundamental problem is very, very, very similar. Now, the difference is the context, how to solve it, the tactics, the, you know, how to maneuver the gameplay, the gameplay. The problem is the same. Yeah. The gameplay is localized mm. based on the local uh, what industry, what strategy, what use cases, what politics, decentralized, centralized, tech stack, on-prem, off-prem, cloud-prem, cloud. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But the, the, pro, so the problem is the same, but yeah. in order to understand the gameplay, you need to go deep, really deep on, on each company. Yeah, I, I can agree more. You know, uh, you, there are different things that you need to tackle in a good way, but the actual problem you know we don't we, we don't get access of our data we can't we can we can't uh, do the all the right analytics that we need to do etc you know that's that's about the same i would say and, and it has shifted fairly homo my, yes. my, my my hypothesis is my my, my spawning my uh, what do you call your it? view or uh, uh, spawning my current sort of Sint insight, my insight, insight to insights. my Probably insight is is that um, it has shifted a little bit, uh, uh, quite a bit. You know, now we have the whole cloud situation, and mm. we have before we didn't have that. So, so based on what is happening on, on the major driving forces <clears> in innovation, in technology, machine learning, and AI, okay, uh, we are, we're shifting the game here, sort of thing, but but. Across the board, we are now kind of working on the same problem. It's that simple. I, I, I agree completely. I mean, uh, now we see this shift going from on-premise to the cloud, yeah. but I still 
see and hear a lot of you know applying the same way of thinking when it when it comes to cloud as with on-premise so people have a, a hard time to understand how like for instance like the data architecture is working in symbiosis with with the, the platform architecture and uh, how uh, you know how uh, that drives cost you know uh, because I, th I think you know playing with the cloud you, you understand <clears throat> you know what kind of performance you get but what the cost of it might vary so when I was working for the insurance company <clears throat> I always take this as a very good example how how it could end because we were about to not my not my organization but another one <clears throat> Uh, they were um, uh, arranging uh, like a, like a hackathon, and and uh, that was really an awesome thing that they did. So so uh, fantastic, and um, you know they they were doing that for one day just before the summer, I guess, and uh, they kind of you know leveled up all the performance and everything on the cloud uh, environment, so it should be really really fast. And it was a great, you know, a, a great day hackathon. A lot of people participated in everything. But then, hey, what? You know, bye bye. I'm going on vacation. No. Forgot to squeeze it back down again. <clears throat> yeah. So what <laughs> happened after the summer? One of my employees he said, "Hey, Jens, you need to take a look at this. <laughs> this is this is really expensive." So someone you know, <laughs> forgot to turn down. Yeah, the so two-month hackathon. Yes, yeah, so the hackathon from being one day, mm. it, it became like, I don't know, two and a half months. <laughs> two and a half months of yes, max, super, max performance. Yeah, super, yeah, perform super ex expensive. And uh, yeah, I, it was just to pay more or uh, less. And, and the bottom line here is that with cloud comes new ways of thinking and new ways of governing. Simple as that. Yeah. But just um, going back a bit to <clears throat> the statement potentially that I guess data and AI transformation is surprisingly similar that we started speaking a bit about. Um, and, and I guess one similar problem is moving to the cloud or using cloud yeah. services and not just doing lift and shift as we've spoken a bit about before that you take the old services and, and just move it to the cloud but not really changing anything and not really making use of the high-level services or whatever <clears throat> that they are having and, and all the managed services that they do have. But let, I, I would like to, to um, ask one other question that I, you know, as being a silverback, even though you don't have any silver hair as well, but, but you have also experience from a number of companies, I, I would argue also, because it, it is surprisingly similar, as you say, mm. that also it's a very similar um, experience is that people always think the grass is greener on the other side of the river, meaning on in some other company. And they always think my own backyard is horribly <laughs> dirty. <laughs> we have, you know, technical depth that is horribly <clears throat> bad, not as, you know, and, and it's much worse than any other company. And we are not really gotten in onto the data and, and AI train yet at all, but every other company are so much far, further ahead than us. And then you go to another company and they are saying the exact same thing, mm -hmm. I would argue. So it's, and, and I guess, Pruan, do you agree with that? That uh, so many companies think that their own backyard is, is much worse than it really is? To some extent. I yes. mean, there, there are some <clears throat> some companies that are uh, like living in more in, in a new 
world of, of cloud, you know, mm-hmm. where you don't have all that legacy. Uh, th- there are some, there are some cases, you know, maybe eventually some industries that are living with the COBOL systems and yeah. stuff like that, uh, which is kind of tricky to to mitigate, you know, and how to address. Uh, but um, I think you're right. I think uh, that also shows over time uh, yeah. an experience that the, the grass is not greener, yeah. more or less. Like if you're born in the cloud era, so to speak, and start with you know using the cloud or some more modern kind of cloud technology, yeah, you know, private or public, then of course you are much better off and, and don't have the same technical depth that I guess companies that have a bit longer history and have the more legacy type of IT system has, right. you know, right? So, so it's much worse for, for them that do have the pre-cloud era kind of but, uh, background. But, but it, let me f- uh, sh- sharpen what you mm-hmm. said now. Isn't it as simple that if I have a hundred-year-old company, I've, I've been working with two companies now that is, um, well, one was more than a hundred years old, Vattenfall. <coughs> you're bound to have technical depth. Mm. And yeah, if you compare right. that to a company like Spotify, I mean, like we, we, are, we are talking century less. Yeah, yeah. You absolutely. Know? So what happens if you used to extrapolate on, on a mm. century, right? Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you need to look at the history, you know, you can't just it's, you know, it, ca- cast a spell and everything is gone, more mm. or less, it's, it's impossible. But, but how, how do you get out <coughs> of 100 years? You know, and, and because nothing is, as you said, a straight line yeah. and nothing is easy to change. Yeah. And, and we are really now talking about, you know, in banking and all the, the absolute core, 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 core systems that don't touch, you know, mm. mainframes and COBOL. Mainframes yeah. and COBOL, yeah. you know, and, and that core is fairly large. And, and, and the, the real headache we've had, and I think we've known about it and knew, knew about it, for at least 20 years, we don't really know how to shift that core while in production. But still, I think there is a psychological phenomena here that mm-hmm. I don't feel or think people are aware of and actually cause a lot of distre- distress for companies, which is, let's ig- ignore the the uh, newborn cloud era kind of companies that started, you know, uh, the very lucky recently. ones. Yeah. yeah, I mean, of <laughs> course, they have less technical depth than the elderly <coughs> one. That, that's obvious, I think, and, and, and clear. There are no silverbacks. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say also that there is this kind of problem that you 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 see your own tech, st- your you know, tech depth that you have. And, and then when you go and listen to conferences like Data Innovation Summits and Nordic Data Science, Science and Machine Learning Summit and all these kind of conferences, and you hear other companies present their awesome solutions, it looks so shiny, it looks so great, and they have no technical depth. And, and then you get this kind of misunderstanding that, you know, it must be just us. It seems like no one else is having these kind of big hurdles. It must be just us that have all these kind of horrible, you know, transformation to go through. But in reality, it's every, everyone. Yeah, but right? Maybe I have an idea, you know, they should have like a psychology corner, you know, yes. where they can, can take care <laughs> of all the people who needs to, you know, talk about yes. their problems. Well noted. This year we had like a... Data therapist. This year we had like... <laughs> yeah, you're right. We had the real data decisions. 
corner, which was basically a guy with a crystal ball <laughs> predicting the future. <laughs> it was the most visited corner of the entire event. So next year I'm doing that for sure. Yeah, data but, per, but, per, but, uh, but you know, it's, isn't this the same as we <laughs> data have? Data church and data confessions. No data confessions. <laughs> Henry, Henry, Henry Cavill will buy you one of the priests. Data confessions, <laughs> you know. I was a priest, did you hear? I was screaming <laughs> like an evangelist. Someone was joking to me. Oh, this is one of those uh, American. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's funny. Back to your question. To be to be serious here, mm. isn't this the same mm. as social media angst? You know, like like yes. we all are showing up our yes, beautiful exactly. lives. That's a good analogy. We are, we are showing up our beautiful lives, and we are drinking Fanta Rosé every day. <laughs> of course, we are. And, and we are we are buying. You know, and of course, we all have normal lives. And we we are living with 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 uh, everything, right? And 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 conferencing is the same, right? And that's what what we've been discussing a lot, me and, and Goran. How do we create the other types of arenas where we can talk, you know, data confessions, or we can have meetups in different ways? Because we we really need the inspiration. We really need to feel that. Yeah. But we also need to talk about the pink elephants. Yeah. We also need to talk about why we fail. Yeah. yeah. And that's very important. I think yeah. it's super important. Think, but it's not what the, co the typical conference is not uh, geared to that. I think, I think it's. Uh, maybe we should change uh, that. Yeah, I think that's a very good topic. You know, why do things fail? Yes, and let's have that in a minute or two. <laughs> I was, you did you know, a perfect I, I setup. Yeah, yes. you, 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 you did a perfect segue. Perfect transition. But he, but he he's the boss. Hey, no, no, no. Okay, <laughs> I was thinking. You know, we have to just finish the finish it. Yeah, finish. It. I, I agree you know, with the you. The move to Electrolux, Electrolux, and then we move directly. Okay, into so the, let's yeah. talk about Electrolux and yes. then some big topics. Yes. Why do we yes. fail? Yes. Yeah, good. So then good. we have finished so that off. I so okay, you, you made a move to Electrolux recently. Correct. Right. Yeah. Can you just elaborate a bit more? What made you take that move, and and what is your current role at Electrolux? Yeah. So uh, the reason why I I kind of uh, found Electrolux, I know the company, of course, mm. was the network. So the, there was a person in my network saying, "Hey, I think yeah, they might need you," mm. uh, and and that's really the background why I started off there. Um, my current role, as I said in the beginning, is the head of uh, data platforms, right. global data, uh, global head of data platforms. And um, uh, what is then data platforms? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> key <Exactly>. question. Exactly. <laughs> so in this case, uh, we are uh, running uh, Microsoft Azure in the cloud. Uh, we have, uh, I would say, uh, at least the. the data platform organization is quite in a startup uh, phase. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm kind of humble about it. Uh, I've, they've been uh, this generation, we have two generations, generation one based on Azure Data Lake storage, mm -hmm. um, generation one and generation two. Uh, the generation two with that uh, architecture has been around for like something a little bit more than 12 months. So fairly fresh. Yeah, fairly fresh, you know. Um, we have uh, something like uh, 375 terabytes of data, um, uh, 45 source systems, uh, about 185 developers using the platform itself, mm -hmm. and that's just counting 
uh, the back end part, I would say. I don't include anything about the front end in this, uh, meaning like Power BI, Click, t- uh, Tableau, whatever, yeah. you know, and nothing about that. So um, 185, would you call it backend engineers or infra engineers? I or? W- I w- I, I'm trying to generalize a little bit yeah. because like uh, it's not exact uh, data engineers or, or so. So it's, it's a number that we did, uh, came up with quite recently uh, through ServiceNow, I would say. So, yeah. And, okay, so just elaborate a bit more. So, so you guess I guess you're making a big transformation as well in Electrolux, trying to get more data-driven in some ways, um, and and then you're also moving <coughs> into this data platform journey. Yeah, uh, right. Correct. And and you have a lot of data already, uh, and you have a large number of de- developers. Are are you taking? How are you setting up this journey? Are, are you doing it? You know on a full spread in a wide way, or are you targeting a few number of systems to start with? Or how are you going about trying to move into this data platform era? Yeah, I would say uh, there is a history here. And you know, I have not been around that long time. Um, But but, um, so what has happened has happened, so to say. Um, there, There is a lot of things in transition as of right now. Uh, meaning that um, I think it was like this fall or this winter that they uh, developed a data strategy. Mm. Um, so that is going to be paving out the direction for what's going to happen with this uh, with this uh, area, I would say. Mm. Um, there was also announced a new position for a CDO, Chief mm. Data Officer, right. uh, which I'm reporting to, um, Alison Bennett. And... Um, She's going to drive this area and, and um, um, with support of the, the CIO, the group CIO, mm-hmm. so to say. And um, <clears throat> I, we, we haven't seen everything uh, that's going to happen, so to say. Uh, we are um, launching a colleague of mine. He's launching a domain, different domain areas, more connected to the organizational setup, mm-hmm. meaning finance. Uh, consumer operation HR etc but then in parallel we have a number of different initiatives and projects um, using the platform as well so um, I would say probably each domain will have their own roadmap more or less on what they want to drive Uh, but but again remember this is a huge company uh, 50k people something like that and you have Given the history here, you have a strong decentralized organization right. um, in the different business areas, BAs, so to say. You have Europe and some other ones as well, uh, North America, Latin America, Asia, Pacific. And in these business areas, you have, I guess, both manufacturing and uh, marketing sales. Yes, product. exactly. So, so it, 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 it's exactly. not like there are sales business areas, there are <coughs> full-on business areas where they have more yeah. or less the whole supply chain. Yes, uh, to my understanding. The whole yes, value chain, course. I mean, yeah, I, I mean I value say, chain. Yeah. And you even have IT within those different, yeah. uh, uh, and I belong to the group, <coughs> yeah. so to say. So and, and, uh, you used to also to give us a snapshot to learn a little bit about Electrolux. Uh, how, how much is Electrolux? Uh, it's a huge company, right? Yes, 
Absolutely. But also, and, and it has many different brands. Yes. And we have the, you know, the brand Electrolux that we know about, but then we have other brands. I mean, like yes. there, there are mergers and acquisitions yeah. in this game. Yeah. Quite a few of them. Yeah. Over, over, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah, I, so think, I think that was something that was, uh, I didn't know that they had this so strong acquisition journey. Exactly. You know, uh, as uh, when I was uh, doing the introduction, they had some presentation. I think that was just fascinating. So, so they, really what, what, they, what, what they do, have done over the years, they have sold out so many different labels, more or less. I, I don't, mm. I can't remember every every of, of them, but it's quite many. Uh, Are they on a journey to to try to move to a more core <clears throat> business kind of operation? Or that's my understanding that yeah. they're trying to get down to the very roots, more or less. Um, yeah, interesting. Okay, and, and just to get, get a bit more technical as well, for, for my <laughs> pleasure, and perhaps some people that <laughs> <laughs> listening to this. Yes, great. Could you give some example mm. about perhaps some uh, project that, that you have been or starting to get involved with on data platforms that is uh, like a typical, like a good example of this is the journey we want to make. Um, if it involves some product for manufacturing or sales or mm. finance or HR or whatever it is, do you have some highlights, some example that you could mention? Yeah, but the, the thing is that, you know, I, I have only been there for, for like nine, nine weeks or so. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and what I've done mostly during this uh, period is that to, to bring more structure in way of working within mm. the, the organization. Yes. Uh, of course, I receive a lot of mails, uh, you know, from different projects, initiatives and in the different domains. Mm. But uh, honestly, I, I've not been involved uh, very deeply mm. in specific uh, projects. Mm. Um, uh, there has been some um, conversations with uh, projects uh, in Latin America, for instance, where they are working with supply chain uh, activities. And, you know, some of my, mm. my employees has been uh, helping out, so to say, but it's more to bring the structure uh, in place, set the put the structure in place and, and uh, organization and make it clearer how to interact with different parts of the organization. Mm -hmm. So what we've done is that uh, I had uh, a, a, a few, uh, one, one consultant and one employee uh, to develop a, a pre-technical assessment to understand, okay, what has happened with the, tech, the actual platform uh, since, since launch. Mm -hmm. um, and that has given, uh, given at least me and, and some other uh, colleagues uh, good insight on what we need to address Right. If, you, if you put it like the next version will be a 3.0 or whatever you want to call yeah. it. Uh, so we need, we need to address uh, some things, but we also need to add a number of different enhancements uh, to, to the actual platform. And just to be concrete on the tech stack here, because you mentioned the date, uh, I guess Azure Data Lake that you mm -hmm. base it on, right? And, and you build layers on top of that, or how does, how does it work? I would, you know, just to keep it quite simple, you have do two parts of it. You have a data lake part and mm. you have a data warehouse, or I would call it more independent data, mar uh, yeah, data marts uh, using Synapse. And then as, as and then that's an Azure service. As Azure service. Yes, exactly. Correct. And then as, as I would say there is a history with uh, Click and some other uh, tools, but mm. 
most of what has been uh, used uh, against this uh, generation two platform is is uh, Power BI. Right. Okay. But uh, let, let, uh, th- there's so many angles to explore uh, how you frame the boundaries of a data platform. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I just want to, and I. I just want to hear your opinions, how we do this. And, and let me frame it from the context that I know a little bit more sure. now, which is in Scania. So here we, of course, have uh, a long journey uh, where we have been on um, using one of the big cloud providers, or both, uh, several of them, by the way. But, but the interesting topic here is, is a little bit like, so we have, we have sort of one part of the platform, which is very much centered on the sensor data and, and the data around the truck, right? Here is very much AWS oriented, yada, 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 maybe a little bit of snowflake. Then we have other parts, which has been the traditional sort of finance space, the enterprise data warehouse, which is actually still on-prem EDV, Oracle, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I understand what you mean with the uh, dark. (laughs) 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 And and then, and and what's the trajectory to bring that to cloud? And then we have, um, then we have, uh, what is called uh, operational streaming analytics. So the whole platform around event-driven approaches. Yeah. And then we have uh, sort of what we had was the on-prem data lake that is then moving into uh, cloud uh, approaches, uh, maybe all up. So here, so, so here we now have in Scania, if, if I put the broadest frame around yeah. what is Scania data platform 3.0x, 3.0, then we are sort of taking what's the environment where we build microservices? What's the environment where we have our API marketplace? Uh, what's the environment where we do the event streaming type data pipelines? What's the environment where we do more uh, data at rest, OLAP, uh, tabular, whatever? Mm-hmm. You know, it's huge, right? And, and all of a sudden it's like, we're starting to understand, pl- I, you know, I'm really being pushing the discussion of platform of platforms. So it really, highlighting that, well, SAP is actually a platform in itself, you know, how we deal with SAP. And here we have dynamics, you know, finance and CRM. And here we have now what we can do in the in, in the cloud, the big cloud providers, which is huge, right? Because I can now run SAP infra service on, on, on Amazon if I want to, you know, so what constitutes technically the frame of the platform? You know, we can have this conversation with a very pure BI perspective. Mm-hmm. We can have it, you know, as, you know, I bet you if I ask uh, Spotify how they define platform, it's quite different, right? Yes, yeah. So so I don't have an answer. I'm, I'm just reflecting. Yeah. Uh, no, platform. I, I, I would kind of focus again yeah. on the business value. I think the, 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 the platform should enable access to business value. Yeah. Like Period. It. And then from here, you can derive, well, we're going to need integrations, we're going to need APIs, yes. we're going to need data warehousing, we're going to need uh, data pipelines, we're going to mm. need event streams. Exactly. And then basically the platform grows based on that. Yes. Okay, I like that. And let's soon move into failure discussions. But <laughs> <laughs> once again, oh, sorry. But I, I just like to mention some of the words you were using before when describing the platform, <coughs> which was for one the lake house architecture. Yeah. Secondly, that you had some kind of federator approach to it. Yes. Can you just briefly, and then moving to failure, yeah. speak a bit more? What do you mean with? 
I guess we spoke about the lake house already, but just briefly, what yeah, I would do? say just to, to explain, you know, this is something I could do for my dad or mother or something yeah. like that. So, um, the data lake house approach is kind of using Delta tables mm. and that's really so, awesome when it comes to, uh, advanced analytics. And then spark on top of that or what? No. And, and wait, um, so. What, what does that really mean? What, what's, what's the adva advantage with Delta tables? And I guess if you have an Apple, you might have t time machine, you know, the backup system. Do you know how it works? Yeah. Yeah. It means that you, you, you can browse back and, and forward. You can rewind and you can go forward in time to find the right backup of, of things. Okay. And this is very important when it comes to advanced analytics. Because then you can understand why, why things change when you set up your model. Correct me? Yeah. 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 Sure. Okay. yeah. So um, we are using, we are using, uh, we are heavy users of Databricks mm. when it comes to our platform. Uh, so, um, and what was the second question? <laughs> I'm okay, but let's, let me try to summarize a bit. So you are using the Databricks public cloud as well, or are you using it? On Azure, because they have on, an integration. On Azure, on Azure. Yes, because yes. they have an integration, yes, right? Exactly. So Databricks yes, has an Azure yes, integration. Exactly. Yeah. Using that, and underneath yes. they have the data tables, which yes, is exactly. the Databricks yeah. invention that is bringing together both the data lake and data warehouse yes. functionality yeah. into a single system. And it's nice and I, I, awesome. I think it, yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's the future as well. It's, it's yeah. obvious. Future proof. Then, Federated as well. Can, yeah. can you just elaborate a bit more? What, what do you mean with that? Federated approach means really that, you know, given the, the, the organization, a structure at, at Electrolux, it's, it's very important to give everybody the access to the, the platform itself. So uh, you have a business area, Europe, for instance, they are onboarding their this data platform and they start developing their stuff according to the frameworks and standards that has been set up. It's not complete in any way, but that's uh, what I mean by federated. So it's like uh, you kind of set, you enable the platform to be used uh, for consumption of, of cloud resources for different developers, so to say. Could we even argue for one topic that we use a lot here, which is hub and spoke saying that that you do have a centralized like hub saying these are the general principles, <coughs> these are the basic te technologies, these are the services you use in Azure, etc. from a hub point of view, but then you have a large number of spokes in a federated way that are enabled to use mm -hmm. that in their customized way or that preferred way. Yeah, I, I, I fully understand what you're talking about. Uh, the only way I've spoken about hub and spoke is when you have a data warehouse and mm. the spokes are more the different uh, data marks, more yeah, or less. Yeah. Uh, but in a way you can apply the, the same way of thinking in this case as well. So so you we, you would say the, the hub in this case would be the data lake where you can ingest everything. Right. And then you have the possibility to spoke this out to the different uh, uh, if it's whatever it is, like uh, data marts or data warehouse. I have one analogy. Let me test it on you if yeah, you think sure. it's correct. Sometimes when I try to explain federation, I think in the similar vein as you are doing, I haven't used uh, hub and spoke because that has been confusing. And, mm -hmm. and ultimately, uh, the spoke has been a little bit like I, I, I pre-populate the cube even into a, a data set in Power BI and then the 
the spoken use that, but they can't really use the resources beneath me. And you're talking about something different. What I have used is the analogy of the hotel. Mm-hmm. So okay. basically, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> so the analogy. So we're building. So we're building a big hotel right now, and someone is putting up the infrastructure of how, how the whole hotel is working, and then one part, uh, some domains. Or, or some has responsibility for what happens in the hotel uh, reception, in the mm. hotel lobby. Here we have data and we have models that is sort of can be used for all. Then we have other parts of the organization that needs we need to help them get the hotel room. And within that hotel room, it's easy for them to sort of get access and, and sort of bring the newspaper uh, from, from the lobby up to the hotel room. But on the other hand, I, I don't necessarily want the dirty underwear in the hotel room <laughs> to end up in the lobby. <laughs> so, I'm, so I've been trying to make this uh, rhetoric where basically, you know what, do you want a lot of small cottages everywhere and you want to redecorate, you, you really want to build it yourself? Or, you know, or could we build a hotel and help you decorate the hotel room? And then you can have, you can have some stuff uh, in this way. Yeah. You see what I mean? Like, so federation in, in a way that sort of, how do we explain that we, we want people to move into the platform, but we recognize that they need to have some autonomy somewhere without, you know, crashing, without dirty underwear <laughs> in the lobby. Yeah. Yeah, what do you think about that analogy? No, I, I, something else came up in my mind. And <laughs> <laughs> do you want to hear it? Yes, I want to hear it. <laughs> so I had a friend of mine and, and he was on a, on a business trip abroad. And uh, he was, uh, of course, he was sleeping at the hotel. <laughs> and uh, for some reason, you know, he was, yeah, he was sleeping nude. So in this bed and, you know, in the middle of the night, he woke up and, and he was like a little bit confused because he didn't know the worst and the, the, the layout of this uh, room, of course. And he was super tired and he went up there and he was just opened that door and, you know, he wanted to take that leak very bad, <laughs> I guess. But he, would, uh, <laughs> but, but he opened the door and closed the door to, to, to the actual room. <laughs> so he, he was standing there. Completely undressed, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get the attention in the right way. <laughs> this, is, this is like a true movie. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's it's uh, very true. Oh, so yeah, funny. sorry for for <laughs> crashing your analogy. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, how to explain federation, right? Yeah. So no. that that is what you get if you don't get federated. You get the naked guy coming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, federation Thanks means we need, common, we need to have prom- <laughs> we need to have practices and common sense how we use the hotel, right? <laughs> Otherwise, you get a ho- naked guy in the yeah. lobby. I kind of see that kind of heading coming up, you know. Don't get, well, if you don't well, get you federated, was, you get nude. <laughs> While you were talking, I was like, this is a good way. This is a good CTA. I think we can use this. <laughs> My marketing brain is just like. Yeah, not a t-shirt. Naked experience or get experience. Federate or get naked. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's funny. Okay, we've been procrastinating, I think, that one topic very long now, and, and let's try to move into it. And I'm not really sure how to open that topic properly. You had your chance. <laughs> I know. You, you had a great, great opening for it. Um, but I get it's ready to failure in some way. Yeah. And, and I, I, I'll let you get more into it. But you have so you know much experience from different companies, and and I think if we can speak about failures in a good way, I, I think it, it's one of the most educational 
learnings you can make. So if we can speak about that in a good sense, it's, it's very good. So uh, with that, I, I just give it to you, Jens. You oh, know. Yeah, catching it just like that. Wait, <laughs> Catch failure, I, I didn't failure. know how to phrase Catch it or wrap it, it properly. Frame it, but you had, I think you had a framing yourself in your head. That no, not I mean, not really, but I think it's a very important topic to discuss mm. because no one really talk about it. Yes. And, and uh, at least, you know, I've come across a, a few CIOs throughout the years, you know, who have really big headache when it mm. comes to this area. And I remember one, he said to me, you know, I've been working something like a month there. And he said, I had some kind of introduction talk with him. And he said, you know, Jens, I really hate business intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I felt like, okay, that sounds very good. This, this might be a little bit of an uphill climb eventually. Yeah. No, but... You know, we, we kind of, you know, uh, took care of that. It took four, four and a half years or so. Um, mm. But I guess he's quite happy nowadays. Um, uh, but I think, I think to discuss and talk about failures is very important. Uh, um, like everything else in life, because you learn a lot from it. If um, you don't make any mistakes, I would argue, you will have a really hard, hard time to learn anything. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, when you go to different events and everything, you hear, you know, the success stories and how yes. everything, you know, how they succeed. And, and you very seldom hear about the failures, you know, yeah. and the learnings and, and the, you know, what, what, what you can, you know, take away from that. But what, what I think is, is uh, Maybe not a very good analogy, but it's like building a house or building a bridge. What you know? It's like building a hotel. <laughs> no, <laughs> okay. no, not the hotel again. Uh, but but I, I think it's like if you. When you I have a perfect intro for. Uh, oh, you have? Yes. yes Let's exactly. hear it. Right. I have a perfect intro for that. And it's uh, related to what you said before, what we actually, before we started the show. And that was related <clears throat> to courage. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. courage actually leads to success or a failure, right? Because these are the if yes, scenarios. Exactly. So I think that first let's define what is courage when transforming and moving, a, uh, let's say a company to a data and driven transformation or data yeah. and driven concept. What does it mean a courage? And courage is also, you know, acceptance that you will fail. If you're talking about people speaking on stage about their successful stories, but not about their failures, that is also a courage. Yes, it is. Right? It's, I would be a little bit the opposite of courage because the courage will be, hey, guys, it's not everything pitchy. This is what is happening. But let's define courage. And then from that, let's define the failure. I yeah. think this is the best way. I agree. Right. Uh, so I, what I, did I, you mean when you said, like, let's talk about courage in transformation? Um, I think in many cases, you need to be bold enough to take those important steps that someone else hasn't done before. And I want to take this example again with, with this um, data event that we, we uh, executed or performed at, at the insurance company. No one had done it before, none. And uh, I sat down with the team and uh, we discussed, you know, how do we set the scene really, you know, f within the insurance company. And this insurance company is quite old, you know, a lot of legacy systems. 100 Eventually, years, yeah, 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 150 or something yeah, like that. Okay. 
I don't know. And, and, and <clears throat> we, we sat down and we had this creative oh. workshop to, do, to, to, to discuss, okay, what, what do we do? And everybody, everybody was so excited. It was so super fun to do this. And, and I think it took a lot of courage, you know, for everybody in that room to really step up and do this, you know. Um, so it's really about making those bold decisions and trying to do stuff that someone else hasn't tried out, I would say. That's my in, in, in way of explaining it, I but, guess. And, and let, you I, wanna? Yeah, because I have, so, uh, there is one thing that I have been keeping on my soul for a long time, and it's uh, one of the, the, the things that, so I went to this data hike uh, with uh, that Arrow organized during the, 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 the weekend, and it was fantastic, it was 10 of us. It, um, it was beautiful. It was a range of uh, people working from enterprises and startup companies and etc. Some data scientists, some heads of AI. <clears throat> and um, I would like to come back to something that you mentioned also earlier, uh, and that was the politics. Yeah. Um, and I want to address this because usually, basically, uh, we avoid this topic, but everybody know everybody talks about the politics in enterprises. But the politics in enterprises is also a hinder when it comes to innovation, because if you yes, want absolutely. to have a courage, that means that you need to be uh, courageous enough to go against the current, which is the organizational structure and the organizational people, right. organizational people saying like, OK, if I do this, this, you know, I might get bad report. Yeah, you're right. So so I think that there is a lot to be discussed only on this topic because yeah, there is absolutely. a there is a huge amount of people in the middle management that are furious that they are willing to make the change. But somebody above, because he's playing the politics, is not allowing them to actually be courageous. Mm. There is no change if there is no courageous times. That's why Corona and pandemic was so beautiful because mm -hmm. uh, against all of the negative uh, connotation to death and whatever it was, it because it, you can see that in six months organization can work really nice when they align themselves behind, not the politics, but being courageous to find the solutions. Yeah, and I have a really good transition point to that. Great. Leadership. Leadership. Uh -huh. Okay, so, now, so now. I, I, think, I think now, you know, now it's getting very interested because I think what's really key when it comes to, you know, courage, failures and everything, it's, it's leadership. And to me, personally, leadership is everything. Yeah. It, yeah. Really, it really sets everything in place. But, but let me now string it together. Sure. I think we have three, three key words. Uh, talk about failures, courage, leadership. So, so let me frame it like that. It's not until we talk about and examine the failures that we truly understand what we need to work on that really matters. Exactly. And when we really go on, on the journey of failures and understand what really matters, it helps us to go from fixing symptoms to root problems. Root causes. And then when we are adding, going to root causes in a large enterprise, I argue that you can string it a lot back to the fundamental leadership incentives, mandates, and our objectives. Yes. And here now, stringing it back to the dilemma we talked about yesterday, like before, mm -hmm. uh, you know, th th that um, 
and uh, I'm, I have this very clear in my head now because this was what I was exploring in the last little booklet I wrote, uh, the enterprise dare dilemma. So, it, so this dilemma that we are talking about, that it truly exists, it's in many different dimensions. It's this sort of maximizing the cash flow of what we have today until you know that it become we know it's going to be obsolete for future cash flows. Maximizing the value now to what is future values, maximizing uh, instant rewards to scalability, maximizing, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all this then boils down to fundamentally when we have gone the whole journey, why we need leadership in the end is that someone needs to wake up to, okay, there might be a fundamental different incentive game here. There might be an incentive. We need to cut the organization in a different way. We need to, we need to refocus from economies of scale to economies of learning. Or we need, we, you know, there's there's a, there's a fundamental shift Absolutely. from a, a, a efficiency focus to innovation focus. You know, many different things like this, and then then basically, the failures allows us to find the root causes. The courage makes us talk about it, and nail it down, and then the leadership. Is makes needed it makes it happen because exactly. if it doesn't happen, if, if if the leadership is not willing to change the mandates and organization incentives, you know, in the end, we, we are we are working against the context. I think you've wrapped it up excellently. I think it was uh, really good. And 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 this is we, we are straight we we are, we are struggling here, right? Because mm. it's a little bit like, and and actually, we are our own worst enemies and, let in, and you know why no because the whole industry and the whole way we have we are learning about these things we are learning about them from the tech stack we are learning what data bricks can do with data tables you know delta tables we are learning about this so we, we are really proficient in in the engineering and, and all this as, as a community I'm, I'm generalizing yeah and 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 we are so deep in our community and we're quite you know fairly good at what we are doing but we have lost the touch with with the core dilemma and 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 the agenda of leadership so there is some sort of gap uh, literacy gap or and and, um, and 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 i think one of the key failures we are doing i am doing how do how do i become better at playing with empathy the game of the executive board or the game of the business leaders. So basically, uh, I can't really expect them to come to play my game. I wish they were mm. uh, interested in <laughs> Delta tables, but they're not. So how can I, how, how do I need to communicate? I don't know, this gap, no, I, I think, I think is huge. <clears throat> I think what you're touching here is, is very important. And, and uh, you know, you need to, you need to, um, um, adapt your your communication depending on your audience so to say and and you know when it comes to the c-level suite or whatever you know it's about um explaining how you can enable value and that's what i want I've, i think sometimes we get lost in translation more or less when it comes to all that's the technology I mean. that's what i meant exactly i understand so it's really that you know we are leaning a little bit too much on the technology itself and get completely lost Instead of just you know uh, seeing the technology as the actual 
enabler of the business value and and talk about the business value instead you know and and i think that has been a problem with this industry for quite some time more or less and that kind of goes back to my some of my comments uh, on my linkedin profile because you know i I was born and raised in a family who drove their own business you know uh, my parents had their own business uh electronic store guess what i did during my summer vacations in school i was working there yeah solving selling or repairing television sets no i was more the sales kind of guy and delivery sales uh, delivery kind of guy but i think that was really part of my core when i grew up you know it's super important to understand the the value of business and interacting with customers. And of course, you know, when it comes to working in the retail industry or manufacturing, uh, like I do right now, that is very, that's a very good understanding, uh, you know, because you know how the customer customer is, is uh, working. Um, but, but it really puts the focus <clears throat> on, on the actual, you know, delivering value and understanding that that's super important. And I, I've been trying to have that as a red thread in everything <laughs> I do within data and analytics. But oh, there's so many topics there, but is, <laughs> isn't this extremely hard? Because we're expecting people to be, have mastery in very complex technology that is extremely rapidly evolving. So you, you used, you are used simply consumes by to to keep up it consumes you to keep but, up what you could do if, i'm a data engineer and that is my core calling i'm a data engineer so can you really expect a data engineer to also be the best businessman no 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 and uh, it's about speci- specialization as well i think i think you need to be very humble i'm very humble about all the core competences needed to deliver deliver something today yeah. I mean, in the back, back in the days when, when this kicked off, you know, with data warehousing and BI, BI for me is both like data warehousing plus uh, decision support, more or less. You, you were talking about front end developers and back end developers. Mm-hmm. That was kind of simple, you know, someone did the, the back end stuff and someone do, was doing the fun stuff, you know, with the graphical user interface uh, towards the customer. So much more but now. It's so much more complex. Exactly. It's, it's like a set of different specializations. And, and that's something that I very often see in, 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 in different organizations because they, they think, okay, so you're a developer. Okay. Are you, are you doing C sharp or, or C plus plus or what do you do? But in this case, it's so much more, you know, and, and it's not like only compiling a set of code and, and, you know, running the application, it's so much more around that. But speaking about that and, and trying to also summarize the topic a bit here, I think we had a nice catchphrase here, which is that we, we need to recognize the failures. We need to have the courage to talk about them Yeah, and the, the leadership, I guess, to solve them in some way. Perfect. And very good. But also, uh, how how do we solve them and and what is the right leadership and what is the wrong leadership and and let me give an example potentially of yeah. of l- wrong leadership and, and see if you agree or disagree <laughs> <laughs> no but I, I think you know one way to just reason about things is always to think about the extremes 
and then you try to find, you know, okay, the, the right path is probably somewhere in between. And one extreme when it comes to leadership and, you know, being able to solve the failures that we have is to say, we just, just listen to the users to find the proper business value, perhaps of a product that we're developing at uh, Electrolux, or we try to talk to the domain experts of how to do the finances or the supply chain or the manufacturing or whatever. But you listen to the domain experts or the users and find you know that side of the story. And they can say, I think this micro oven is horrible because I have <laughs> to press this button twice and I just want to press it once. I don't know. I'm, oh. I'm just you know, extre- you know, yeah. doing some extreme example here. So that's just listening to one side of the story. Mm. They're experts in how things are being used. Today. Today. Then you have the other extreme, um, which is the tech expert. The tech expert know exactly how the data lakes or data tables works, how data bricks works, how Azure's Synapse works. They, they know how AI works. They know how to build the data uh, pipelines. But they don't really know the business value. They don't really know the the domain needs, so mm. to speak, of whatever product or service you're building. So either case, you, you are just listening to the users themselves and say, what do you need? And we fix that. In the other sense, you, you're just listening to the tech expert and say, what do you think we should do? And you have a tech-driven approach to what you want to build. I would argue that both of those extremes are wrong. I agree as well. Oh, I so. think it's quite uh, simple. Yes. Just, Put them t- both in a blender. <laughs> <laughs> in an Electrolux Lux blender, of yes, course. Yes, of course. Electrolux. Go, Electrolux. <laughs> no, of course, using an Electrolux blender to blend that up. I mean, well, I think it is super important to, to use with the, the cross-functional teams. Yes. I think it's, exactly. it's all about bringing the business together with the tech people. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to wrap it up to, to the leadership and courage yes. kind of thing yes, as yes. well. But... Um, I would say um, what I've seen, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go back a little bit, you know, in regards of failures. I think it's, it's about if you really know how to do something, it's about competence and you have done it a number of times and you know what really fails and what really works. Um, <clears throat> the analogy would be eventually when you buy, uh, build a bridge, you know, it's somewhat complex. Uh, you need to understand the architecture, the blueprint, you need to do a lot of calculations and stuff like that to understand how much pressure it's going to be and you know uh, the workload and stuff. But if you've done that a number of times, you know really how to build a bridge. Mm. And I think competence is really key. Um, and you can't really underestimate that. And, and that's uh, a risk mitigation because if you have built up that, because everybody has, who has been working for a long time, uh, they have done the mistakes. They have earned their share, more or less, when it comes to, to understanding what works or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, that is not sufficient. Uh, you really need to have someone that can lead and understand that and execute that in the right direction mm-hmm. and communicate that. So um, now I think nowadays it's, it's more about when you are a leader uh, 
it, it's more or less required, you know, that you have a uh, somewhat understanding about the actual uh, domain that you're, yeah. you're, you're driving. That, that's my, <coughs> that's but, my but, uh, point. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and, and I'm going to try to latch on to what uh, Anders said, Cause, uh, and, and what you said with the cross-functional <coughs> team, and because I think this is part of why we fail and part of what change in leadership we need. So we're we coming from a paradigm where we have sort of driven, a, a, we are business functions over here and we are IT over here. And that has kind of served us well when we had business applications that we bought off the shelf. Yes. And this is a huge difference, I would argue, if I take a Spotify, which is actually a software engineering company at heart, versus an enterprise, which is a business application oriented technology stack. And here we now have a, a situation that it won't fly with data and AI. Actually, the future of data platform drives more closer to software engineering than business application thinking. So here now we have the change that we need those to work together. They need mm. to have a common lingo. They need, and, and, and I, have, I have failed several times with this. And, and the classic is that you're trying to, oh, we should work as a team. But even if you are, you, you're drawing the perfect process, it looks like they're working as a team on paper, but then you scratch the surface. How do we come up to a result? All the business guys were sitting in one room mm. in one workshop. And then they flipped it to the technicians later down the track who looked at the, you know, You're what right. they could do. Yeah. And in reality, mm. that's not what I wanted uh, because people misunderstand it and say, oh, we need to do a business framing of the problem. So we let the business do that. And then in the same process, we let the technicians solve it. No, no, no. I wanted the technology perspective and the business perspective on the business framing. Uh, exactly. And then when it come to solution, mm. I wanted the business framing and the technology framing on the solution. Mm. And here all of a sudden, if you don't really go down granular on the cross-functional team mechanics, you, you miss this, right? I've, I've drawn up a beautiful process. I've, I did this and fucked it up. And, and, and I thought we were working well uh, the process was clear. We had a cross-functional team, but the mechanics of who was taking what meetings was still sequential. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I think now we come to the leadership problem. Mm. That one of the changes in leadership now that we now need to step up to is we need to be ready to lead cross-functional teams. And, and it is quite different to lead as a mass, having the mastery and experience in one, drum, in one discipline yeah. and lead a discipline team to now I'm going to be humble enough to lead a cross-disciplinary team mm. where I might be T-shaped and have maybe some mastery, but I'm, I'm way out of my depth on mm. other dimensions. I, it's You're a, right. I think this is a different leadership. It is. This is one topic, right? It's very good. And, and then I think another part of this leadership problem is that we, we don't always have these natural arenas where these cross-functional teams can work. So we need to create the product team. We, we need to create the organization or the project. So we need to do something where we can make this safe cross-functional work happen. Exactly. And if the leaders don't have that, they don't understand that this is the real problem. We're not working on the real problem in, in my mate. So, so I think that simple argument you're doing is quite profound, Anders, because I think it starts here. Because if you start solving that, that team will be starting to put the right requirements on the platform, 
Yes. And it will flow from here just yes. in time. Mm-hmm. But I think this is one of the biggest problems that we are not really f- solving that. Right. I don't know. Am, am I o- o- too much? No, no. I, I think it's agree. And I, I'm, I'm so tempted to go more into what is really good leadership. Yeah. Let's go and, there. And bad leadership. I should, like should it. Should we do that? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I, really I think so too. I think so too. Uh, I think it's a, yeah. It's a good go topic. ahead, Anders. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because I was thinking, you know, we need to go more philosophical and long-term here, but, but what I, what I, let, <laughs> no, let's really. be improvised here and, and just continue this discussion and, and, and move then into, let me see if I can find a framing here. And, and I would argue for one, there is a difference between being a boss and being a good leader. Yes, absolutely. And, and then you can be an informal leader that is really helping a whole team or a large piece of an organi- or part of an organization to, to really move forward in a good way. You're being like a mentor or you, you have an, a leadership skill that is really helping not only yourself, but so many others. And then you, you have the whole dimension between being micromanaging people and saying, I know I'm the expert, you should do this versus trying to have more of a coaching attitude and trying to bring out the solution from people. And, and, and I think also in this case, both extremes are potentially bad. But so having these type of, you know, thinkings for one, is it necessarily the boss from a line management point of view that should be the leader? Should you promote other people to be a leader? How can you be a good leader? so that you are not micromanaging people and still making the whole team provide the values. That's a very fluffy kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. framing, but <clears throat> do you have any thoughts about this? What is, of course how, I do. how do you promote good leadership in Electrolux or in? In general, in I general, would say. Yeah, general. I would say, uh, first of all, I would make a, a clear distinction between being a, a manager and a leader. Yes. Uh, maybe manager is more what you're referring to as being a boss. Yes, yes, that's why. Uh, the boss is more the person who is micromanaging everybody uh, to to uh, atomic level, yeah. more or less. Yes. And I think that is very counterproductive. I think it kills everything when it comes to innovation. Uh, I think it it's. Uh, I don't know. I can't really relate to that leadership style. And uh, so I'm, I'm more in the other end, more or less. It's really about empowering the, the different uh, co-workers yes. uh, to let go of their uh, capacity. Um, and and um, I think in me, my own leadership style is, is all about to <coughs> eliminate um, uh, hinders or how do you say, like uh, obst- obstacles or something like that. Um, to to be a service organization to to um, to um, chop down the trees in the in the way more or less to 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 make them uh, do their stuff more yeah. or less. <coughs> um, let me challenge it. Okay, I I, I, I agree in, in all you said, but let me challenge this yes. just yes. because it's fun or used to bring in another angle, and I'm not going to challenge it directly. But when we are leading, we're not micromanaging, but what can we expect from a leader in terms of vision and shaping? I think, I think that's really, really important. And now I'm coming back to the strategy and making it clear, you know, setting the goals for everybody. 
Um, depending on the organization, the setup, of course. But if if I can choose myself, I would, you know, use the strategy as the guiding star, you know, to create an understanding for everybody where we're going, you know. And as discussed before, the line is not straight. It, exactly. uh, you know, it 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 might be a crooked crooked road um, yeah. uh, line. Uh, but but I think it's very important to to at least uh, give um, a storytelling about the vision so everybody can understand, okay, we want to reach that, whatever it is. Um, and it should be contaminating everybody who's part of that okay. organization and, and saying, that, you know, I'm part of this, you know, I'm, I, I really understand this is the way we go. And I, what I do every day is, is a little bit chunk of, of that's going to contribute to doing that. Yeah, but but so what you're saying now, I think this is really important because as a leader, you have an obligation or it comes with the territory if you want to really call yourself a leader, that you have vision and shaping power. Now, how you do it, if you if you are the sole visionary and you can articulate it yourself, or if you know how to facilitate a group to come up with a vision, doesn't matter. As long as the group around the leader, you, f- you find a vision and clarity and that contam- contaminates, this is great. But we have different styles, which I think can be good leadership. But some people, I mean, like if I take a Steve Jobs of the world, he, he, you know, or Elon Musk for that matter, he might be the person who projects the shape or the vision. Yeah. But you have other leaders, maybe Warren Buffett or I don't know, who, do, who has a different tone, tonality, yeah. he will achieve the vision equally, yeah, but, he, but his mechanics to get there is he, different, is different yeah, equally successful, even more successful. So I think you can be a leader as long as you understand that with leadership comes vision. Yes. And, and you need to provide that and you need to put that on paper. How you get there, depending on your personality mm, and your competences, exactly. yeah. you know, many gameplays. Yeah. Would you, is that fair? No, I, I agree. I mean, I, I guess you need to put your personality touch to, yeah. to it. I think that's very important. That all, again, you know, I think there's not one single solution for it. No. So, so you need to choose the path that's right for you, I guess. But leadership is important, right? Because if, if no one is taking, if no one is shaping, if no one is putting the direction down, it's really, and, and saying we need to go right now. We've gone left before, but this time we need to go left. And this is the vision why. Yeah. Someone needs to do that. Absolutely. Right? Yes. Um. <laughs> is that leadership? I, is it part no, of leadership no. or not? No, no, I, I'm just trying to recognize if we are saying a lot of platitudes here or not. And, and of course, we, of course we, need, we are. Yes. And, and that's my, my platitude alert uh, is yeah, ringing yeah, a bit yeah, in yeah. my head. But of course, I agree. Yes. So then if but we're trying to can you take it out of the platitude? Because I think we're saying the right stuff now. Yes, but can we, we are. Can we take it out of the platitude alert? I, because I think you're right on that, too. Could you frame, could you help us summarize it that it takes it? I don't think so, but I can try. <laughs> no, but <laughs> I, I think one of the best leaders is someone that actually can bring the best out of people. Exactly. That is one of the, the, the best strengths I would say a leader have. But they also need to be able to form a vision, as you say, that they need to, to do that and phrase that in a way that empowers people, uh, that gives 
people the the will to persevere all the failures that they're going to see when trying to do so and, and steering this crooked road ahead to some kind of vision that you are seeing. And and I'm trying to say what you said or think about what you said about Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, etc. Are are they good leaders or not? Obviously they're very successful. Um and that's why it's not obviously so easy sometimes. They're humans also. They're hu- they're leaders that are that have been successful, but they're also humans with human flaws, and very big flaws. I, by I, the way. I would say even like this. What I'm saying sometimes is, it's, it's easy to say we should be coaching leaders. We should not be micromanaging things. Uh, we should only be you know bringing out the best of people. It sounds awesome, and I, and I truly believe that's the right thing to do. But, but looking at some of the top leaders in the world, that's not really necessarily how they have done it, right? I, I think there are some examples like Larry Page and Sergey Brin, et cetera, and Google, et cetera. But, but they also had very, very strong knowledge, domain expertise, tech expertise. And I think all of them have tech expertise, which in potentially was very important, right? But, uh, but yeah, I, that, that's my kind of dilemma here, I see, you know. For one, you, you want to be the good coaching leader, but then at the same time, you may need to have... But you know experience. what, I, I would argue is the common denominator be, between Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, Larry, Larry and, and so forth. They, 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 at some point in their careers, in their companies, they've had super strong visions of how things should be. Mm. And, 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 and to some degree, they actually represent where you also almost get a, a, a personal cult happening. Yeah. And, and we have other leaders who's not leading as a cult, as, as around their persona, mm. so to speak. But, and, and maybe you don't need that, but you, you need something, you, you need a very strong vision that, be, that you, because if it's not strong enough and clear enough, you can't dissect it. No. It, it, it just falls apart, right? And someone, somehow, leaders, leadership needs to provide that. Mm. And it, it seems now that it has, I mean, like Jeff Bezos, come on, right? Yeah, He's an exactly. asshole, right? Yeah. But, but, he, some, but he, has a, he has this vision and laser focus yeah. on that vision, right? I think there are, you know, more, I shouldn't say good examples because it is the wrong adjective to work. But I, I think people like Larry Page and Sergey Brin, you know, the Google founders and Larry Ellison. Sorry, what? Larry Ellison. Larry. Ellison was the Oracle. Oracle. Uh, Oracle I'm not right. sure if he's yeah. in the same league there, but okay, you, you Satya, Satya Nadella, I think, you know, actually. Sat- Satya is maybe the most humane leader of them all. Yeah, and very different from, yes. from his previous yeah. CEOs of Microsoft. Satya, he's the hero. He's maybe the real I, hero. I, for, for me, I, I think he's a really good role model of all that. <clears throat> I, can, can we think about, you know, what is the biggest, the best role model of a leader that we can think of today? I think Satya is, is one of the top I, I would I would agree. I yeah. would agree. Because the, the other ones, they have a leadership <clears throat> around a personal cult. Yeah. Very strongly, right? Or let's, let's go to some um, uh, historical persons. Was, was Churchill a strong, a good leader? Oof. What do we know about history? I mean, I, I think it was very strong, right? Almost like a personal cult more oh. than anything. <clears throat> 
I, I really don't know. I'm, he I'm made not... a lot of uh, wine liners, and, and he also liked vodka a lot, but I'm not <laughs> sure if that's... <laughs> it's actually champagne. champagne. Was it champagne? Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, but I mean, maybe that's a bad... Uh, ex- because that's, that's something so completely and, different. And you cannot judge... Uh, uh, we, can, we cannot put him in the same bucket because uh, he was a leader during uh, what is called... Exactly. Extreme. During wartime. As soon as the war was over, he was gone. Mm. So because he had like a strong foot and he was very political, but that doesn't, I think that is very hard to actually to, 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 there is a both place for a manager and both place or a boss and both place for a leader. Mm. And I believe we discussed this earlier. So for example, some fi- function, they need a manager. So a leader can be a leader of managers. Mm. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Because if you look at the, the chain of command in army, You have the general. His job is to basically make decision on a macro level based on the information that he gets on the field. Mm. Now on the field, you will have the managers who will actually make sure that the information is gathered. Yeah. Those are the guys that will basically say to these people, you need to go now through this bridge and you need to conquer. But there is five uh, panzer division of, uh, I don't know, Nazis or whatever it's going to be. So he needs to send them basically to that in order for them to get that intel. But the general doesn't see that. He only needs the information by tomorrow because he wants to make a bigger changes. Mm. So I think it's unfair to say that uh, basically there should be one type of a leader because depending on where you are. Yeah, I think it's fair. And, um, and, and the way, what kind of situation and, and where the organization are eventually as well. But I think, I think what we're trying to, trying to aim at here is really, you know, what old way of, of uh, managing. And, and you can all also add another dimension and that's the culture yeah. a dimension to it as well. You know? Yeah. 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 So interesting topic. We, I wish we had a super simple uh, answer to everything here, but it's certainly not. No. Yeah. And I guess once again, uh, it's through experience, I think, that, that you learn. And I think experience is sometimes a bit undervalued. And uh, I, yeah, I think the quote what you said before, you know, through experience, you learn to recognize the failures you have done. Hopefully, you also learn how to have the courage to speak about them mm. and to rec- yeah, properly recognize them. And then hopefully, you gain the leadership to, to, to be able to solve them together with other people. Not solve them yourself, potentially, but, but through other people, being able to solve the challenges and failures that you do recognize through having courage. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Good wrap up. I think that yeah. is the that is the sort of three liner yeah. t-shirt. <laughs> three liner t-shirt. Yeah. Should we end with perhaps like a final more long term philosophical kind of topic? At uh, least one. Well, yeah. At least one. <laughs> At least one. <laughs> we can take a couple after. <laughs> sure. And uh, I'll let you choose yet. And then I'll, I'll speak, uh, and I, I'll name a couple of them. Yeah. Uh, and then you can choose which one you think is most interesting for you to, to mm. just elaborate okay. a bit more on. Uh, the first one is too boring. I, I skip that. Um, okay, so one topic we have spoken a bit a, a, about a lot here is, is so the so-called AI divide. And then we can see that the big tech giants, you know, they're driving away in extreme scale and mm. they are expanding in more or less an exponential rate. And you have the big 
companies in US and China that are now the, the most valuable companies in the world mm. throughout any sector. And I think, you know, Electrolux being not a tech company from start perhaps, no. but they of course are making a big transformation now to becoming increasingly tech organization, right? Or Yeah, to some extent at least, what yeah. I know so far, yeah. Are you then, the question, if we move into this question would be, what do you think about the big tech giants in general? Are they a, a, a danger to the society at large or Electrolux specifically? That could be one topic to explore. Yeah. And, and another topic then could be what we spoke about, the singularity, saying, you know, if we actually are seeing an increased development, exponential development in, in being able to have intelligence through using data, like we're seeing with the large language models, etc., that are being able to even explain jokes. If, if someone have, you know, want to Google for this afterwards, they can look up uh, chinchilla or flamingo and these kind of awesome models that have come recently that even can understand and explain the reasons behind a joke. Hmm. That I think is one of the most difficult things that requires a huge amount of intelligence and knowledge. And, and, and this is just amazing. Are you then, Jens, afraid about a point in time where someone does a mistake? Someone unleash AI, perhaps in warfare, perhaps on the stock market, perhaps in manufacturing, perhaps in some kind of product, a micro oven that goes bananas <laughs> <laughs> and just says, no, you're not going to eat this uh, hamburger now. You, you, yeah. Anyway, you lose control in some yeah, way. Is I understand. Yeah. That could be one topic. Um, and perhaps the final one is, is more, are you an optimist in that we are able to, to control this or, or, or if we as humans are sufficiently in control that you think that in 10, 15 years, the world will be a much better place where we have learned to live in harmony with data and AI so that we simply have a much higher welfare and, and beautiful society. That could be the, the last like, one. Take a optimist or not. Yeah. Yeah, I so think I think there's uh, very interesting topics. Uh, may I pick two? Okay. Okay. No, but I but but I probably keep it shorter. First of all, I would like to start with a singularity. Yes. You know, the first thing that kind of crosses my mind, you know, when you when you gave your wrap up, uh, it's it's war games. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. Awesome movie. So I think you know, I, I want. I can't remember the year, but it may be 1980s. But I think there was a guy there, he had named Falcon and, you know, there was the Nord system and everything. But uh, that, I think this singularity thing has been around for many years. Yeah, I would say, even, yeah. yeah, yeah, I would say so. Even, you know, from the time when the, the computers uh, 83 apparently yeah or, or 83 or, yeah, yeah. In, in fact um so it's been around ever since the the computer saw its dawn yeah. i would say yes. uh, even close to science fictions eventually um, um so if it would happen singularity could be um I mean, just as you say, you know, the, the development within di different models is super fast. Um, but some, 
to some extent, I feel that someone needs to push the bottom. Mm. But but it it's and we can pull the plug. You think? Yeah, yeah. Mm. more or less, I would say. Yeah. You know, you need electricity some, to some extent. Uh, mm. So I, I think that's a very interesting topic. Um, in regards of <coughs> AI divide, I yes. think it's it's already happening. Yes. Um, I think it's 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 to some extent a little bit scary when you see the big big firms, you know, how they kind of consume um, AI tech talent and and how this gap is is uh, getting uh, bigger. I would it say it is right. It's this accelerating, right? Yeah. And, but and is it a is it a problem? I'm I, like, that's the pro that's yeah. The I, may, maybe to some extent. I think I think it's a problem because there are going to be companies or organizations that's going to be they are too late, you know. Uh, I kind of think about what's happening in in uh, you know um, Darwin's uh, you know fitness of the survival. You know, it's like some people, so some organizations, some companies, they will just fade away more or less because they haven't they have been too slow to adapt more or less. Mm -hmm. Let's take an old example that I talked talk about when it comes to digitalization, you know, Kodak, mm -hmm. you know, yes. a long time ago mm -hmm. when you have those analogic, analogic um, yeah. photo film rolls, um, you know, in fact, they invented the, the, the digital camera. They did, right? They did. Right. 1985 they did. or something. They, they did. Kodak, yes. and, mm -hmm. and it's so fascinating because some, you know, they, mm -hmm. no, no, no. Let, we don't go that way because we make so much money on this analog stuff, you know, can you imagine? And then a number of years later, they go bankruptcy, bankruptcy. Yeah, and like one and or two years, they yeah. just went from a super big company to yeah. nothing. And I, I think yeah. that's so fascinating. There are some other examples as well. It's like blockbusters in the US, yeah. a super big chain, uh, a lot of great movies that you can rent. Mm -hmm. uh, and now, you know, when, when, Netflix, eventually, I think it was Netflix when, when they entered the scene, you know, overnight, more or less, everything just faded away. But I, I think this AI divide, why it's a concern? What's the problem with it? I can flip it. The benefit of, of if we start in that area, is that really what they are doing and how they are driving tech innovation and research is actually fuel a whole ecosystem of startups or new business models coming up as as a as an opportunity based on you know what you now can do in cloud and and all that. So yeah. so so it has sort of it's creating its own uh, macros. Uh, so so th that's the one benefit. But what I think is the two major uh, problems. I mean, like uh, history teaches us that when you have an uneven distribution of power mm. in terms of know-how, in terms of money, you know, on, on, a, on a very, very few small percentage. So, so the problem is not that you have giants, right? You, it, the problem is that you have so few that is so far ahead of, of so many. And th this leads to war, it leads to uh, revolution. Uh, so, so this, and and you can you can you can trace it back to you know the conflicts around oil. You can trace it back to you know all the way back in history. So when when someone has all the power in one area, 
uh, and that is on very, very few, it leads to dysfunctional, scary situations. This is one. The, the other spectrum of, the, um, of this is if we understand that the innovation pressure is going up and we all as society, companies, but also individuals need to cope and adapt. I argue it must be much better for our society, for Sweden, if we are doing that on our own terms. It's painful, but we are doing it on our own terms. I am deciding when I want to learn something new. I am deciding when I get a new job. Instead of being completely disrupted from the outside of the core environment. So if I think about industries, healthy Swedish industries, it's better that they disrupt themselves. Uh, for, you know, and I, this has to do with jobs. It has to do with everything like that. Mm. So when we have a very, very few set of companies disrupting the rest, I think the economical consequences You're right. are bigger. Yeah. R well, rather than uh, trying to make some scary, bold moves with the, within an industry and you will die because you made the wrong move. But I think it's still more healthy for, for, for Sweden or yeah. for society. You're right. Um, I think the only challenge here is that what's like the human capital in this, you know, the, the people who have the skill set. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's very key in this because you won't be able to disrupt your own business if you don't have the right people. Exactly. And, right. and so I, th I think that's really the key enabler in this. And uh, that's kind of part of the problem when it comes to the AI divide, because you have a few companies that attracts a lot of people mm. um, and, great, and, great. And, and, and they are like sucked up uh, mm -hmm. in, in this ecosystem, either if it's Amazon or Google or whatever it or is. Or if they're recruited or simply <clears throat> acquisition. Yes, exactly. And I think so the, the natural source of, of people, that's going to be quite limited. And and then I agree with you. I think it's much better if each company is just disrupting themselves. But what about you know access to the people who can actually perform that? Yeah, so it's a catch twenty two. Yeah, and, and there is a one more topic that we are we need to put in talent because I think that we need to round about the talent. If it's an AI war, if it's an AI divide. We are talking about it's a war for talent. We went to Middle East. We talked about it. Yeah. We're talking about Data Innovation Summit, but we are not often talking <coughs> about the the the. Um, and Eric Peterson was here uh, like uh, last week, I believe. Two weeks ago. Um, two weeks ago, yes. Uh, two weeks ago, right. And we were talking about this, and after, after, in the after after work, we started talking about something, and it came to my mind. It's so big inflation right now in the salaries mm. that every single data scientist who is actually working in a company is usually staying for a very short amount of time, which means that they are not they are staying for not enough time for them to make meaningful impact for the company. That means that it's basically we're creating also a society or we're creating basically a functions that they will never know how it's going to look like if you put something in production, how it's going to look like if something is actually 10 years behind, right? Because everybody is learning only the first part. Let's do a POC, let's put it in a practice and see how it's going to work. And then you switch to the ne next one in a six months. So I think this is also something that we need. And if in a, in a bigger companies, because they have a bigger benefits, they also stay there for a long time because the benefits are better <coughs> for them. Yeah. 
Yeah. Here, they're just basically jumping six months here, six months there. It's very rarely there are data scientists staying more than two, three years in a company. It's actually less than one year because mm -hmm. headhunters are all the time and giving better offers. And I think this is something that also needs to be understood and discussed in a larger scope because otherwise we have like a competence that is not in a long term being so successful in deploying things in production. And no. that is actually right now, MLOps people are the most important people this year. It was the data engineers last year, MLOps is the name of the, 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 the title this year. No. And MLOps is people that have put something in production. How many of those do we have? Yeah, I, I think that's very interesting. Uh, absolutely. But Anish, uh, you was mm. for me, it's a very difficult problem. I, I think also Henrik, you, you phrased it well when saying that it's not necessarily bad that tech giants are very successful. They are providing awesome services to the world. They are bringing jobs to the world. They are actually doing research in an, an extremely advanced way that is accelerating technology in a way that would not be anywhere near possible without them. They are doing a lot of good. So, and that can help the whole economy of certain parts of our world in, in a great way. Mm. Then, then the, the other more philosophical potential dilemma or problem with that is that when you have a concentration of power in this way, and, and perhaps, you know, one person in particular now with Elon Musk, you know, that is, you know, he's extremely successful. Mm. He has been able to bring so many companies and, and Tesla, not the least, to an extreme valuation. Mm. And, and he is by far the most richest, richest person in the world these days. And, and now he's also potentially, potentially going to own a big social network as well. Yeah, and Twitter. Yeah. And what does that mean? Even if he has mm. the best intentions, he, he is a potentially benevolent dictator. I, I, yeah. I don't want to say the words in my mouth, but he, he potentially may be very benevolent, yeah. wanting the best of <clears throat> people in the world and you know, reducing our climate footprint and carbon footprint that we have and, and be, bringing, making us you know, multiplanetary and, and so forth. But it is a dangerous thing when the concentration of power goes to extreme and it's going really fast. Mm, yeah. This is actually concerning to me. And, and, and Even if it's really, it's, it's just being super successful. You can't really blame him or Tesla. for No, but I mean, like the, what, I'm really, what I'm really pissed off about is not the tech giants. I'm, I'm pissed off with society at large sleepwalking. Mm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not really blaming them for doing something awesome. I'm, I'm blaming uh, regulators, politicians, and large companies being fat and happy and not understanding how big, how far away. They don't understand how far away they are yeah. in, in, in these areas. I don't think you understand the power of data and AI, to be frank. I mean, and being able to use technology to scale up things in a way that is extreme and, and just what he's doing, as I said before, you know, full self-driving and, and having self-driving cars. Yeah, that's fun. I don't think that's the big thing that Elon Musk is doing with Tesla. I think what the level of automation that he's bringing to the factories that he's doing is going to put him in an extremely powerful position in a very long time ahead because mm -hmm. no one can compete in, in terms of the price 
of these cars going forward. No, you're but, right. But, I, I uh, think you're absolutely right. But but are we <clears throat> are we in the next five to ten years? Are we going to experience a flood of Kodak moments? Eventually. Oh yes. Uh, I mean, like, I need I, to I, end I, here because yeah. I think that we are right now at a, at a very crucial time, where actually the entire uh, VC founded company's bubble is about to burst. Yes. Ooh. Okay. So I mean, like, we I, have this I, conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very, very interested to see what is going to happen this year. Yeah. So and and so here here we have the uh, maybe we need to frame if you're going to go yeah. there. I mean, like what in the news we've had a lot of discussions, like the, the big VCs have basically gone out and say, take care of your VC funds right now. Don't expect any more capital to your runways for the next year. The Klarna moment. The Klarna moment. We can talk about now. And, and, and all of this is showing up that sort of, okay, now we're getting into maybe some more turbulent times, maybe economic recession, but, but something fundamental happened in the VC community. And what, do we know what sparked it? Why did it come now? Is it a, some sort of economic recession around the corner that is sparking the bubble? Why, why is that whole VC, why is it happening I, right so now? That's I'm my question. I'm not very sure why is it, but it was long time overdue. overdue yeah uh, and the, the the point was that you have like basically most of these companies are um so in the past 15 years how the economy was run on a global scale was basically investing in the companies that can scale the most not the ones that can actually earn the most exactly right and exactly. and i believe that that after so many times people <clears throat> have realized we're just burning money we're just burning cash and there is no end for it. And, and some people made money and some people not. It's like a Bitcoin. You made money when you basically put the 200 crowns and then now you made 200 million out of it. If you invest right now, uh, probably will, probably people will uh, comment on this and as well, but uh, it's too late. You could have <coughs> made the money when it was and the game was there and now it's going to something else. Mm -hmm. I mean, you cannot invest for a company. Uh, let's let's talk about the uh, example. So we have like, in the event industry, we have a company that was valued zero. And then during six months during the pandemic, it was valued on 6.5 billion. $6.5 billion, right? The biggest event tech company in the world. Pandemic is over. What is that uh, company or, uh, worth now in terms of cash? Zero. Zero. There is nothing there. So what did we do with the 6.5 billion? Can people still invest in that? How long can you invest in that? So I think this is basically what is coming. Like people started realizing, and because of the, uh, because of the, 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 the corona and now the inflation that we have, it's easy seeable where you basically you need to cut costs. And, and this is very, uh, I think that this is going to be very interesting year. We will see a lot of VC founded companies, even in the data and AI uh, era that basically have done a very great innovations, but not enough customers, they will just simply disappear or the technology <coughs> going to be bought by somebody else and put out into the rub like never existed. Mm. What do you think? <coughs> I'm always very dystopian about this, but in fact, I wanted to make a transition to the last third point yes. that you were saying previously, well, you know, something about, uh, are we using AI for the good purpose and stuff like right. that? Yeah. Yes. So I would like to talk about Tom Cruise. 
Oof, really? Yeah. Ooh, not about uh, not about Top Gun. Uh, Actually, I want to see that one. Yeah, I, I want really to see it as well. No, but the reason why I bring it up is really deep fakes. Oh, yes. Ooh. Yeah, deep fakes. So, uh, <laughs> back to your question, Anders. I, th I think... You, there's a lot of things in motion right now. And, and I think some of them are fun making, you know, a great animation of, of Tom Cruise. You know, there are some awesome ones out there. And in fact, the, the company behind that met metaphysics, uh, they started off their own company of, after that. And, and I can't remember the name, but there's a terminology now when it comes to, you know, virtual persons who doesn't exist more or less. It's, it's, it's fascinating and, and they starting to develop like the ethics around that. So, uh, you know, it's a little bit scary because you, you don't know if the person you are kind of watching on TV or whatever is, is just an AI person and an avatar in the metaverse. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So check that out. It's very fascinating on the topic Tom Cruise and, and uh, misusing AI eventually. I actually seeing, uh, you know, I, I watch a lot of podcasts on, on YouTube, etc. And, and you can see on YouTube this kind of YouTube shorts. It's like a minute or two <coughs> small video clips. And I very, very frequently, like daily almost, get some kind of deep fake with Elon Musk saying, here is another Bitcoin uh, competitor. <laughs> if you just invent 10% uh, on this, you get a 50% uh, okay, return. Back. Like, <laughs> and it, it's, it's, it's a often rather poor defect peak. You can see this, the, yeah. the, the, the voice Glitches is not really, yeah. Yeah, exactly, the voice is not <laughs> really speaking. But, but still, there is so much of it and, and that will increase. And Stop Googling Elon Musk. It's going to get <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How can you do that? <laughs> yeah. It's not possible. But there is another deep fake, uh, deep fake in, in, uh, <laughs> uh, deep fake in, in uh, Tom Cruise and that was uh, positive. It was Val Kilmer. Uh, yes, yes. Right? That's so true. he's basically, uh, he's not able to speak. Yeah. So they artificially made the voice. Uh, so he can be able to say at least two to three uh, words, I think. So he had like throat like, cancer or something. Yeah, like exactly. So, so he basically begged the, the, the director to be on that uh, on that uh, movie again, yeah. and it was great. They made like a very big story around him when you see the movie. Don't uh, don't so, no spoilers. No no. So there is <laughs> no spoiler alert, but there is a scene, and you will find it when you see it. So basically, he's sick from uh, sick, and he cannot speak, and they use the uh, artificial intelligence actually to simulate his voice based on the previous movies that he has done so to yeah, so speech to synthesis speak. from yes. yeah he was and, that, and that was fantastic i think it was, was Iceman or what was his name Iceman Iceman Ice Ice yeah, yeah. yeah. right uh, now is the movie out is the movie out already yeah, yeah i think so I, oh my god i missed man. it Don't, okay Awesome. We have to try to wrap it up. It's oh. been going far too long. <laughs> you, you, this is the record. You're, you're, yeah. you're beating the record, Jens. Yeah. But that's a good final episode. Yes, Thank it you. Is. Yeah. Jens, what's next in your life? What's happening coming weeks uh, for you privately, professionally? Uh, I guess vacation or something? Or yeah. what's coming up? What's coming up, uh, really? Uh, I'm looking forward to the summer break here uh, to spend time with family. You know, as I started off with, uh, we have some plans, and uh, that's more you know top of mind right now. Uh, of course, I, I hope to to wrap everything up uh, at work as well to 
to get the last bits and pieces in place uh, for for uh, my my organization with um which is going to be quite important for for the journey ahead so to say yeah please uh, do help making sure electrolux keeps ahead of the tech giants and yes. makes another awesome swedish company that will be leading in the future of data and ai absolutely so. Anyone that you would recommend to have on this podcast, someone that you would like to listen to for us to interrogate. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> I know a lot of people uh, that would be um, candidates for sitting here with you guys, but I, I, would, I want to be a little bit equalized, so to say. Uh, so I, I'm going to bring up two names. Mm. Uh, first of all, I would like to um, Matilda Engdar, mm -hmm. which I uh, hired for... Um, Uh, Axfood. Uh, in fact, she's still working there, but she's a manager for for the analytics there. So, oh. uh, I would like to have her <coughs> sitting here with you guys. <coughs> um, but also, I would like to recommend uh, Dawn Sommer, someone I've uh, learned uh, uh, learned to know a number of years ago. Like Dawn Sommer. Or? Dawn Sommer. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So he has a background from Gartner and, and uh, um, now I, I guess he's working for Click. But yeah. he has extremely good knowledge about this business and this industry. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's, he's an awesome uh, storyteller. And uh -huh. uh, maybe if you're lucky enough, you might hear his story about what happened on Iceland. Mm -hmm. I won't say anymore. That's a cliffhanger. cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> no, he has a great story on analytics when it when it comes to I Iceland and what what they have done there. So yeah, I won't say anymore. <laughs> Oof, Oof, we really have to get him on. Uh, <laughs> he's on the top of the list. That's here. how you said. <laughs> I, I, I know <laughs> Dan. So don't Dan, if you're listening, we're coming after. <laughs> we're coming after you. <laughs> And and what Jens Jens know we were chasing for six months. So <laughs> it will happen. Sure. Jens, uh, it's been a true pleasure to have you here. I'm yeah. looking forward to the after after work now to continue speaking about all the all amazing topics. And uh, so thanks so much for coming here. Thanks. And best of it luck. It was great. The, it took yeah. a little bit too long time to get here though. Yeah, but yeah, but, yeah. but but better late than never. I think you know? I think we're we're going for two fifty. <laughs> <laughs> so that's you felt you felt the need to deliver. I yes, like it. I do. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thank I you, appreciate it. Jens, so Thank much. you very much.